Welcome to yet another episode of When a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender. Um, when a Guy Has a Really Fucked Gender After Dark, I should say. This is the oh. for the premium feed, um, where we're not doing the sort of interview things. We're doing whatever I want. And <laughs> what I want this week is to talk about sci-fi. Um, I have with me today James. James, Hello. would you like to introduce yourself? Would you like to share your, your gender with the... Our, our audience. Hello, audience. My name is James Hudson. I'm, I don't know, do, do people usually give their full names here? I instantly feel like I've, I've said too much. Um, Sometimes they do. I mean, it depends on the person, right? Like, um, fair I don't enough. know. It, it, dep- it depends greatly. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to call me James Hudson. James is okay. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a kind of, just like, just trans mask. Not that, not that fucked. I do like, I like when a guy has really fucked gender, but like, I really have been thinking about this so much. I've been listening to the podcast and like, it's actually made me reflect so much on like, how would I answer that question? And like, depending on what episode I've been listening to and what day it is, I'll just have like, I've had a completely different answer rehearsed. Like, oh, I'm going to tell Jolene, this is my gender. <laughs> I'm going to tell Jolene, this is my gender. Because I really like, I don't know, it's made me, um, it's made me interrogate a lot. Um, and also think a lot about, uh, I so I'm Irish. I, I grew up abroad, which is why I sound a little bit American, but I am Irish. Um, and I know you've had guests from the UK on, but I don't I don't know that you've had a has there been an Irish person on yet? I don't think I've had any Irish people on. Um yeah, we have a very specific I mean not not very specific, but obviously a different circumstance to uh UK and US trans people, and I think listening has like weirdly made me aware of how like being 26 years old and Irish specifically (laughs) like shaped my gender in that moment like I feel like my gender is so so tied to how old I am oh my goodness that's so interesting I'm like so curious about this (laughs) maybe we'll maybe 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 we have to have you back for like another episode because I I would like to hear more about like I'm always curious about what exactly is going on with like because you're you're right there is like such distinction in terms of like access and like one of my favorite moments from the podcast was um in the metoidioplasty episode with my friend Gabe when he contextualized this like massive kind of social ch- shift in American trans communities and access to healthcare as being the result of like the ACA uh, reconfiguring. Um, what does ACA stand for? Oh, the uh, commonly called uh, Obamacare. Um, the oh, Obamacare, yes, yes, yes. Affordable oh, the Affordable Care. Care. Right, yeah. 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 And, and I guess with it, like Medicare expansion and the sort of way that all of a sudden um, trans surgeries were way more accessible for uh, mm people in the United States and we're way more likely to be covered by health insurance and that that has had like a I mean that's like that's how I got my surgery um I'm on Obamacare I'm on health insurance that I purchased through Obamacare and um yeah but (laughs) we're we're here to talk about sci-fi we're here to talk about hell yeah (laughs) I sent out I sent out the reading list um which let me just pull it up so I get the last names of or I get the names of everyone right um, included The World Well Lost by Theodore Sturgeon, Coming of Age in Carhide by Ursula K. Le Guin, I and Gamora by Samuel Chip Delaney, um, Imago by Tristan Alice Nido, and The Gift by Rika Aoki. 
Um, what a star-studded cast. Right? This is a great, this is great. Um, for, like, I guess, like, transparency's sake, uh, James and I collaborated to make this, this reading list. Um, I provided the, I guess what you could say, like, the, the classics, the Sturgeon, the Le Guin, the Delaney, um, and James provided the contemporary fiction um, that is actually by trans people, Delaney and, <laughs> Delaney and Le Guin and Sturgeon were... Which I... Also, I Sturgeon, actually, interestingly enough, I don't think there's any suggestion that he was anything other than heterosexual um, as well. I don't... I was getting major ally vibes off that story. I'm not that surprised somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... I guess it's. it, it feels very... It, it feels very ally. It feels very ally in, like, an era where being an ally was still somewhat, like... Uh, I mean, that was a... Oh, absolutely! No, no. For for being like a major like ally story, it is. It's right. It's it's very funny. Um, I guess we'll start talking about the Robo Lost. I think we, we're going to kind of try to move past that one quickly because it's maybe the least. <laughs> I think it's the least interesting of the ones that we read. Um, but it's one that I, I don't know. I think it's fun just in the way that it sort of plays with expectations. And well, I guess I wanted to maybe start off with like. Uh, I have my own kind of like approach to reading sci-fi, which is that like. I'm very much like a fan of the um, Delaney. Actually, was the one that said this. Um, Delaney's sort of approach to sci-fi is that it is a genre in which um, meta language can be equally the same. The same sort of sentence could be read as either metaphorical or literal. Um, sort of like equally valid. His his sort of class, classic example is like. And then her world exploded as like a statement in oh, sci-fi. Yeah. That can be that can be literal, um, whereas yeah. in in you know like litfic or whatnot, that's just kind of like oh, like she's you know her 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 mind was was blown or something. That, like that. reminds um, me of um, when I was in college. My so my my BA was in uh, English with film, and um, I had a class on like I think it was just on genre in film. And so we had a, a section on horror and, you know, trying to define, like, what makes horror, like, what makes a genre and stuff like that. And one of the arguments was, um, I think it was to do with The Shining, but it was specifically about how, like, horror depends on your own belief system. Because, like, if you're a Christian versus if you're not, you will, like, completely interpret presentations of faith and of God and stuff like that as either you know, facts of the world or as like a fantasy, if you're not a Christian, like a demon reads completely different to someone who believes in demons than to someone who thinks it's just like a, a metaphor or something like that. Um, but I hadn't heard that. Uh, I hadn't heard it in the Delaney context before. No, that's, that's a really interesting, um, like other way of sort of framing this. And that's, a, that's an interesting, right, sort of way of thinking about the way in which we read, right? Um, and I guess specifically with like questions around what this podcast is about, like, sex changes, right? Like, we, as the audience of these stories, are people who, I mean, I guess you and I are people who have changed sexes. And so for us, like, the idea of changing sex is not, like, a metaphor, or it's just, like, something that's literal. Whereas, like, for, again, like I said, you know, like, the the stories that I suggested are Le Guin, Sturgeon, and Delaney, um, who are all cis people, um, I guess... Delaney definitely has a fucked gender, <laughs> 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 just despite being cis. Um, 
That can uh, happen. It can happen to anybody. <laughs> it really can. Um, I love him. Um, but like, I, I had not read. Um, I, I think I, I might have read one story before, but I, I, I have a problem of like I am. I haven't read enough of like sci-fi and fantasy classics or horror. Um, and not through like I'm. I'm not someone who's like I don't need to read the classics. It just like there's just I haven't gotten around to it yet because when I finished college, like obviously there was no trans people on the reading list bar one cool teacher who assigned us Nevada, um, which was like a game changer for me in terms of reading trans literature. But um, yeah, so then when I finished college, I was like, I have to read every trans author in existence now. And um, so that meant that like, I spent years just reading very contemporary stuff, which I don't Mm -hmm. regret, but I'm very much still catching up on the classics now and always trying to have that weird balance of like trying to keep up with you know my peers because as like a writer and an editor but also um trying to like know the classics for obvious reasons because like they're important and very like you learn so much from them and they are just like good (laughs) they're like good no yeah they're they're like really cool Um, yeah (laughs) and i guess this is like i don't know that that that, that's like I i say that stuff about like you know whether sex change is metaphorical or literal. And, like, I think for, to, like, Delaney's credit, I think that sex change was something that was more literal for him mm. um, than, like, a lot of other people. Um, just, like, insofar as, I don't know, I remember reading um, Triton, right? Which is mm. um, a Delaney novel that took, that I think was written in, like, the 70s um, that features the main character transitions, um in sort of like the climax um in like a really kind of like weird like vaguely like trans (laughs) trans misogynistic way but it's it's funny because like delaney is like delaney's like really into the idea of this guy and is like writing this like really crazy guy he's writing him like very you know like the sort of like distinction between like author and narrator you can tell that delaney is like (laughs) because he has like other characters in the story that are like this guy seems kind of misogynistic this guy seems kind of (laughs) weird (laughs) he's kind of like You've got to like, like, um, he goes to like, right. It's like sci-fi. It's like set in this, like, you know, impossible, like technologies and futures. And he, he goes to this clinic and he's like, I want to transition. And they're like, all right. And he's like, can you like fix my brain too? Can you like make my brain female? And <laughs> people at the clinic are like, uh, I mean, like we have stuff we can do to your brain, but like most people that come here feel like their brains are already <laughs> the thing that, the thing that they want to be. So it's, yeah. Like, I, I guess we could do that, but like you're you're kind of being weird right now, dude. Um, <laughs> the people at the clinic, like you have a really fucked gender right now. <laughs> but um, but the, the 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 funny thing was right. I, I read my copy of Triton, and it has a foreword by um Kathy Hacker, and mm. uh, it has in the foreword right um, the foreword was written like I think like uh, in the '90s sometimes. But Acker says something about like oh you know this story has like a sex change in it, and it was written in the '70s, and now in the '90s this is like you know, a thing you see all the time in San Francisco. And it's like, I mean, it was a thing you would see if you were, you know, I guess living life like Delaney did uh, in the 70s. Um, so. Yeah, we're well past, like. Yeah. Um, Christine Jorgensen and like. Yeah. Would, would Candy Darling have been around at the time? Would that be the same? Uh, in the 70s, probably. I don't know if that would have been like Delaney's theme, but like. Yeah. But in yeah, terms like, of like prominence and like the. Uh, oh, yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I think Darlene was, like, the... 
I think she was early 70s, actually. Yeah, she was, like, early 70s. She died in 74. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, like, had, like, a, yeah, she had, like, a woman in revolt was 71, and um, flesh was 68, so. But, yeah, um, that's, that's all just to say, I don't know, some, like, preamble stuff. Um, <laughs> but now we'll, we'll, we'll briefly discuss the sturgeon piece, because I said that we would... Um, I don't know. It's like just like kind of like I said. It's just like kind of a fun story. It plays with your expectations, right? Like the the sort of setup is this. Like, <laughs> I kind of think of the the one character as like uh, basically like Zap Brannigan, you know, from Futurama. <laughs> He's like, um, and then like his, you know, um, <laughs> the like sort of like tall like uh, what's his name? His name's like literally Grunty, right? Yeah, like, it's Grunty. Yeah, <laughs> it's like tall like. Uh, uh, right, it's the, these two, they're the only two people on this, like, spaceship, or the only two humans, I guess, and they're, they're sort of assigned to transport these, um, these two aliens that are, like, we know, like, the planet that they came from, but we haven't been able to actually go there, and the people are, like, super xenophobic, and, like, don't have any interest in, like, making contact with other species, and so, like, everyone's really curious, everyone, like, wants to know, like, what's going on there, and then, these two species, or these two, like, you know, these two specimens, these two people from that planet show up on Earth and are, like, they're, like, very obviously, like, in love with each other. That's, like, the sort of, like, they become, like, a kind of cultural sensation. Yeah, they become, like, a cultural sensation. Everyone's, like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful how they're, you know, in love with each other and just, like, constantly just... I was really obsessed with... This was not... I mean, this is not part of the gender stuff, but, um... (laughs) The in the I think it's in the opening paragraph the the description of how like a nine day wonder is like incredible in this world that is like he's describing like the twenty four hour news cycle and saying like yeah. how how impressive something being interesting for nine days is in that circumstance and that was like the first paragraph and I was already googling it and like he wrote this what <laughs> yeah and. <laughs> Right, I think like in the fifties or something. Yeah, I think it was fifty four. Yeah. yeah, it's very, yeah. very. And then, and, and that doesn't come up again because most of the rest of the story is like set on this spaceship, um, so it doesn't really like impact the rest of the story. But I was just very impressed by the the prescience on that alone. But also at the same time, like um, I know I just mentioned her, but um, like uh, Christine Jorgensen obviously was a big news piece and. Susan Stryker has a video essay, kind of, called Christine in the Cutting Room, that is about um, Christine Jorgensen, like, as a historical figure, and, like, what people were so obsessed with about her, Um, but it's, like, set to EDM, and it rules, because Susan Stryker's Stryker's cool. Um, I can send you a link afterwards, if you want to put it in the show notes or anything, but it's, it's like, six minutes or something, it's really short, but... um, yeah, it was. Um, no, I'd I love. I would love that. That'd be great. <laughs> I didn't know that much about Christine. I mean, I knew like broad strokes, Christine Jorgensen, but I didn't know kind of like the cultural context of like why people were so obsessed with this story. Because like it's easy to go now, like yeah, it's you know it was a brand new weird thing, but like you know she puts it in the context of like um, you know international politics and wars and stuff like that. So I did. Right probably just because I was watching that video again recently, like, that did remind me in a way, like, people would be obsessed with this, like, weird, like, this weird entity that is, like, kind of 
like sort of non-binary in that it only exists like they are being referred to as they because there's two of them but also they are kind of just this weird unit outside of sexuality or gender or identity i'm like that would have been the same sort of era i guess that sturgeon would have been writing this in versus christine jorgensen yeah well and that's exactly the sort of like right so the the kind of the plot of the story right concerns like the 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 lovebirds appear they come down to earth they're like this big media sensation for like nine days or something and then earth gets a message from this alien culture that we like know exists but know nothing about and the message is basically just like oh yeah those two those two are fugitives we need you to transport them back to us so we can you know uh prosecute them um and uh and earth you know that the powers that be are basically like okay well we we want to make friends with this culture we want to know what's going on so let's let's do this let's comply and uh they send this I forget what's the what's the what's the Zap Brannigan character's name? I always forget. Oh, his name's like um it's Roots. It's Roots. Roots. Yeah, yeah it's, good. it's got that really charming nineteen like early kind of writing style where uh the names like there's like five references to a rooster in like three lines, just so you really get it in your head. Like he's he's cocky, he's crisp, he's a rooster, and his name is Roots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's there's roots and grunty and like roots is like zap brannigan and grunty is this like tall silent like only communicates in grunts you're like given like his internal monologue his internal monologue is like he's like constantly like referencing like wordsworth and like all these like 19th century like romantic poets and he's just like whenever he like makes a reference he like in his internal monologue will say like the name and their year of birth it's like very (laughs) he's this this like nerd but so they they're transporting them back and um the way that like space travel works in this story is like this kind of process of like um like this like warp jump that can like go really far but only so far and really quickly that like knocks out everyone and grunty for whatever reason um, recovers from being knocked out like uh, about like an hour quicker than everyone else, and so he's like, Big. yeah, like he he like spends a lot of time like awake and alone on the ship, um, whereas Roots is like still knocked out, and he like as he's like um and and the the lovebirds also recover I think relatively quickly, mm-hmm. not quite as quickly as Grunty, but like the point is is that Roots is like the last one to come up, and so. Grunty basically realizes that the lovebirds are telepathic. Um, and this then becomes a problem because Grunty is gay and has a crush on Root. <laughs> which I think is like, which I think is where like a lot of that like weird allyship thing, like vibes come from because it's like, why does he have a crush on this man? Like there's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's like homophobic, (laughs) but like (laughs) it. It is also like right, like the way that like the like the last line or like the last two lines or whatever are like (laughs) are like genuinely beautiful. But you're also just like, why, right? Because it's like the 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 line is like it's like um right. Why must we love where the lightning strikes and not where we choose? Um, uh, but but I'm glad it's you, little prince. I'm glad it's you. And it's like that. That's Grunty is like thinking this about Roots, and it's like, oh, he loves him. But it's also like, why? <laughs> like, 
Yeah, it's very um, like classic self-hating homosexual thing where like yeah. they like he he can't help his nature of like wanting to be with a man who like hates him so much. And who is like right, like this is the thing that it sort of comes up like Roots is very homophobic. There's like I mean, so right <laughs> So, you know, he realizes like, okay, these these aliens are telepathic and they realize that I'm gay and that I have a crush on this guy and he's like okay i have to i have to kill them because if they you know go back to their planet and they tell someone that i'm gay then that might make it back to earth somehow and like i don't want i don't want that to get out it's like the the earth earth is still very homophobic human culture is still very homophobic in this mm. in this story and so like the right the the the, the he um as he's like sort of like making this plan to like kill them, they sort of being telepathic realize that he's doing this and they manage to like communicate to him through drawings that like they are also gay and that like that's why they're fugitives because right, this the sort of thing that like is playing with your expectations that I thought was really interesting here, right, is the way that it's like without the context of knowing anything about this species, there's just this kind of like assumption like, oh, this like couple is like you know, whatever, like, a normal couple would be like for these people. Uh And then they, like, (laughs) I think it's also very funny that, if I recall correctly, like, the drawing, right, they, like, draw out, like, you know, to communicate, like, there's you, and then there's women, and then they're, like, and then there's us, and then there's, like, whatever the other sex of their species is, like, I think Grunty describes it as being, like, monstrous. Yeah, having like weird short arms or something. Like they have really extreme like sexual dimorphism. Yeah, it's like. Um, but anyhow, like Grunty, when Grunty realizes this, he essentially helps them like get an escape pod and escape. And um, then Roots wakes up, and Grunty's like, "Oh, you know, like I let them escape, but basically like makes up the story that like helps Roots." convinces Roots that, like, this was the best possible option, because, like, um, I think he, like, says that, like, he realized, like, Grunty tells Roots that they were gay, and Roots is like, oh, if I'd known that, I would have killed him myself or something. Yeah. Like, it's, like, really homophobic. Like, it's, like, <laughs> um, it's very like, oh. extreme. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very, it's, it's very strange, but I don't know. But There's... it is also, like, it has vibes of, like, um, like, again, that, that weird, like, ally vibe where I'm like, I don't, like, yet, yes, elements of it feel homophobic, but I don't necessarily feel that Theodore Sturgeon had any ill will because, like, it kind of has that vibes of, like, I'm not racist, I hate everyone equally. Like, because, <laughs> yes, he writes about, like, gayness a bit weirdly, but, like, there's only one heterosexual on the ship, and he's fucking strange. Like the way he's really <laughs> hypersexual and super misogynistic, and clearly presented as like he's not good. Like no one here is getting out on stage. There's like the part where he's like he's like bragging about like all the women that he fucked Grunty, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I fu- I fucked her so good, she paid me. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. The idea of like, yeah, it's like implied that he like hired a sex worker, and then she was like, "My God, I've never had dick so good in my life." It was so good. 
<laughs> that was one thing I noticed though, is that was when I actually think, um, not, not to be like, I was smarter than the story. Um, I was paying attention to the Loverbirds pronouns because um, unrelated to this podcast, I, I'm reading The Left Hand of Darkness for something else, um, yeah. which made Carhide much more comprehensible. Um, yes. <laughs> but because obviously, like, because that is a story that's set in a world where, like, you know, nobody has a gender really, but the book defaults to using male pronouns and so as i've been reading it i keep having to remind myself that they to not just picture them all looking like men and so i found myself doing the same thing for this and then i got like it wasn't until roots mentioned this one where he's like she like she paid me money for my good dick that i was like oh she yeah there hasn't been any women in this so far and then the only other time they use female pronouns is for the ship i think Oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that. That's so funny. Yeah. It was no, they I mean, mentioned that's... one of the Loverbirds. They like, he hymned one of the Loverbirds and I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was like, okay, but what is the other one? Oh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was just the shift. I think that was the only main, like... Oh, and, and, then, and then like the drawing of the girl, I think. Okay. Oh yeah, but that's yeah, right, right, they, yeah. They never use, um, they never, there's like the only times that there is the main times that there's any reference to like the female gender is uh is the drawing of the girl and then also roots being like i got crazy game <laughs> yes yeah but i i think it's just like a fun story um which is why i put it on the list and it's like one of the like earlier sort of sci-fi stories i know of that deals with like sex and gender and it's um, like there's images and moments in it that are like incredibly compelling like I had a rough not not rough like I it took me a minute to get into it because the first two or three pages are like very exposition heavy and so I was like oh no is the whole story going to be like this but once they kind of get onto the spaceship and start this like voyage back towards the planet it's like a very self-contained thing and I again unrelatedly have I've started watching Star Trek for the first time in my life in the last like month and it feels very like a Star Trek episode. But, oh my uh, goodness! Oh, I I could I could talk about Star Trek episodes with weird gender things going on for like hours. Like oh my I am loving it. I I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have to like send you a list of episodes, and then we'll have you come back and we can talk about <laughs> Star Trek episodes because like Please. there is I, I need this is very important. I don't know if you are you watching the Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I okay. said. Okay, have I you gave got? Him- have you gotten down. to like the weird episode that's like what if the straights were oppressed yes wait okay. no wait no sorry i've seen the okay. episode that's like what if men were oppressed okay no there's like an episode that's like what if the straights were oppressed and there's it's so in it Riker has like a sort of romance with this alien from like a culture that's like all asexual yes. and like views I like know sex. of it okay yeah it's it's important it's important, in my opinion, that like um, Jonathan Frakes tried very hard to have that role cast to a male actor rather than like a really? female one. Yeah, so just like which makes the episode so much very. I mean, the episode's already really interesting, especially if you like mm. read it as being trans in additional to being gay. But um, it was also like a very like oh yeah, Jonathan Frakes ally, uh, ally, <laughs> ally moment. 
right? He goes. Literally, like, I think I was four episodes into The Next Generation, and uh, I texted my friends with, like, my breakdown of which characters I thought were, like, what flavor of LGBT, and all I had for Riker was, oh, he's a chaser, <laughs> like... And and I mean this in a in a kind way. Like he's a he's a very kind chaser. Riker is like um Riker's like the Roman bisexual. Riker's like the virtuous Roman bisexual where he's like uh mm-hmm. any anything I can fuck I will, but um I'm gonna be good about it. He's what people think that Kirk was like. Yes. Um <laughs> But but just for the world well lost, like there was like again, because I think I, I was in that Star Trek mindset. I was like, oh, this is great. This is just like more of my, more of my little gay show. But um, the, the image of like, like Sturgeon doesn't dwell on it too long, but the idea of being so afraid of someone discovering your identity that like you are afraid of someone on a different planet knowing that you are gay is so compelling. Like that is such a, like, like a depth of feeling and of fear that I think was like so like the entire story almost felt like it was built around that for me for the moment of Grunty to be like oh if these aliens know that I am gay they might tell someone on their planet and and if anyone on their planet knows they might tell anyone on my planet and for the for anybody on the same landmass on the same planet to know my secret is like one person too many. Nobody can know this about me. Like that, that extremity was like, so I, I love it. And, and conjuncted with like the sort of general, like personification or like generally like Grunty's personality as this like strong, silent, like. Very placid. Yeah. Yeah. Like type, like he's like, it, it feels very like, I don't know. It feels very sympathetic and it feels very like real and like lived in i don't know i i i I enjoy the story a lot um and i said this to you before we started recording but like to anyone listening who is interested i also would recommend uh carmela mary morell's passage which is just a a six-page comic um her website is draculavoice.com but um it has a similar vibe of like just the extremes that you would go to because it's kind of in a different way because like this is the extremes that you would go to in like a sci-fi situation to hide your identity whereas Carmilla's story is like the extremes that you would go to to find any like shred of affirmation um so it's kind of going in the opposite direction but still having like a bent of like like neither it's still an extreme it's still not good <laughs> like right. this is still a bad situation to be in um but i always find that compelling like a story that is like and I, imago is kind of like this but we're like yeah it's not good to like <laughs> even if <laughs> i mean transphobia is bad sorry this is a hot take <laughs> But just that, like, any any extreme either way it would would not be, like, good. Like, it's not ideal to be that repressed. It's also not ideal to be put in a situation where you have to, you know, treat your own body so drastically to get any shred of respect. Yeah. Yes. You I mentioned like story, Thank you for reminding oh, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And you mentioned a minute ago, uh, Left-Handed Darkness and Coming of Age in Carhide, mm-hmm. which is the next one on the reading list. So let's move ahead to that. Um, yeah, Coming of Age in Carhide. This is like a short story that's like an adjunct to Ursula Le Guin's uh, much more famous book. Um, 
well, novel. I guess Left Hand of Darkness is a novel. Coming of Age of mm-hmm. Hyde is like a short story. It's like 11 pages or something. Um, but, right, the sort of like Left Hand of Darkness is set on this planet that has this, um, the, the, the sort of people on the planet are like very, very sort of analogous to humans with the exception that they are like, there's only one sex, um, right? And they experience like once a month like it's it's kind of like I, I it makes me think of like like when an animal like goes into heat right like they yeah. experience once a month like essentially like a heat where they sexually differentiate into like either a man or either like a sort of like masculine or feminine like uh i guess like appearance for the the duration of that time and um the same person can go into one one month and then the different one the next it's all sort of by potential um you can you're kind of yeah um and left hand of darkness is a novel that i read a couple years ago i actually didn't like it that much i i don't know i'm about like halfway through i I just i think i wanted it to be more about the whole like weird sex stuff and it just wasn't (laughs) enough of it and i was like politics going on yeah yeah, it's it's a lot of like because the the main character of it is right like this person that's been sent by like the intergalactic federation to like adjudicate whether this planet is like ready to enter the enter the into the sort of galactic federation or whatever and again very star trek yeah very star trek um but but the coming of agent car hide is like a very like nice sort of short story that's like from the perspective of just like kind of a normal person on this planet and it's like has like this kind of frame of it's like set uh they're like in their 60s now and they're like sort of reflecting back upon their their youth and sort of are remembering when they came of age um which is in in the story specifically it's like about their first experience of this like kind of this heat um they call it they call it kemmer is their word for it Mm. um hemmerine uh and In, in Left Hand of Darkness, it like makes clear that there's like a variety of sort of different cultural practices around the Kemmer and um, like what different ways people, different like ways different cultures manage it and different perspectives on it. But um, the culture that um, <laughs> the, the 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 culture that we're we're sort of like within in this one is um, essentially that you 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 spend your your like you know couple days a month when you when you kemmer in the the kemmer house which is basically just like a giant orgy um um, it's like a big pansexual orgy everyone's having fun um there's lots of beer and drink and and good food really utopian it sounds really nice honestly it's like (laughs) but the the story is really fun because it's like i think Right, like if if you're like kind of a queer person and you're like hearing about like the sci-fi story that's like, you know, imagine this like kind of alternate world where it's like sex is, is working very different. There's like this kind of like oh, it's like utopian, so there's like no problems. But the the story is like, no, there's tons of problems. I guess like the problems are like very like kind of typical like, sort of like teenage angst. It's like, right, the main character, uh, their name is Sov, and they're like, they're like really like angsty about this idea of like i don't want to do this and there's like i don't know it's it's like a really like kind of it's really cute like the um yeah it's the like embarrassment of hitting puberty for the first time and being yeah. like I, especially like um i mean for me it was obviously most like analogous to getting your period for the first time being like no i don't want this though like especially um because like so much of the 
the language around getting your first period is like, um, oh my God, you're a woman now. And being like, no, I'm 11. <laughs> I actually don't, I don't want that. I'm just going to chill with my Legos for a bit. Like, I don't think I want to get into all that quite yet. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. And it's like, there's this like, really like the, I loved it. I loved it. There's this like really cute conversation that Sav has with um their cousin, Seether, who's like, around the same age as them and it's like they're kind of going through this like together eventually it's like um the sort of thing that happens is like Sov is like a, a month ahead of, of Sether so it's mm-hmm. like Sov Sov like tries to negotiate with like their mother at one point they're like can't I like can't we like put it off a month and like I can go with Sether and the mom's like no it's like like it it's it's your body it's gonna happen now like we can tell it's like you're not going to be ready at the same time. Like, you got to do this on your own. Um, but, like, um, yeah, there's just, like, all this, like, kind of, like, I mean, it's, it's right, there's the conversation between Sov and Sether is, like, really, like, right, they're, they're both, like, yeah, they're, symptoms. Like, yeah, they're, like, sharing their, like, sort of symptoms. They're, like, yeah, like, yeah, they're, like, my, 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 what do they call it? Do they have, like, yeah, do you sometimes feel like your tits are on fire? And mm. Sether's like, yeah. And then Sether's like, does your pisser get <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, it's so sweet. Like, it is really, um, I, I very much, again, I haven't finished Left Hand of Darkness, but I, I do like the writing style in this so much because it is much more conversational and because it is in that, um, in that like, mindset of, like, even if it is written retrospectively by someone who's an adult, like it is very much in the, in the mind, the mental space of being a teenager. Whereas the left hand of darkness is written by someone who's like, you know, um, an alien archivist. So there's a lot more like technical speak and stuff like that. Um, So this is just so much more relaxed and just like, so, so enjoyable. And the title really like, there's, there's not even that, like, it's weird because there's not even, that much of a story to it it is just kind of like recounting things that happened but it also like it's the stuff that you wanted to know (laughs) like no exactly it's like yeah it's like so sorry i swear this is my last star trek (laughs) but like keep them coming keep them coming episode like two of the next generation um is or i guess it's episode three but like they confirm that data can fuck and my friend Roisin, who's really, who's my co-editor on a magazine, she doesn't watch The Next Generation, but she watches the original series. And so I was telling her about this. I was like, they just confirmed that Data can fuck so early. And she was like, yeah, they were not letting you get anywhere in that season without answering the most burning question right away. And I genuinely feel like that about coming of age of Carhide is you're kind of sitting there being like, yeah, but like, can they do this? And Ursula's like, all right, you know what? It's been a couple decades since Left Hand of Darkness came out. Let me answer some questions. Yeah, no, and it's like, I mean, but it's also like, yeah, like the, the Sether, I, I just like, I keep thinking about like Sether's like, right there. So it's like Sether and Sov are like apprenticed to the same like furniture workshop or something. And they're like walking home together. And Sov's like kind of pissed about this because Sether has like a limp from an injury when they were younger and so like Sob's like I have to walk slow and it takes forever and like I don't want to I just want to get home Mm -hmm. but like they when they when they start talking eventually they like kind of like warm up to each other and Sether's like um I'll tell you what I hate what I really hate about it 
it's dehumanizing to get jerked around like that by your own body to yeah. lose control. I can't stand the idea of just being a sex machine. And everyone just turns into something to have sex with. Do you know that people in Kemmer go crazy and die if there isn't anybody else <laughs> in Kemmer? That they'll even attack people in Somer. Somer is like their word for like when you're not, not in Kemmer. Yet. Yeah. Um, right. And then there's like this like very like sort of like um this like yeah, this like story of this like truck driver that like went into Kemmer while they were like um stuck in the snow and there was like someone else there who wasn't in Kemmer and he this this truck driver raped this person and hurt him and then um committed suicide uh afterwards out of like guilt um it's just like it's like this like very like that's teenage the story like it's it's just, like it's like that's like the kind of stories that you like tell when you're a teenager and you're like getting freaked out about stuff like yeah because like as far as i i know that's not true. Like, in The Left Hand of Darkness, they explicitly say that there is no rape on Carhide. They say that you, you can't have sex with anybody who doesn't want to because it's this, like, pheromone thing. So as far as I understand, that's just, like, completely untrue, <laughs> which is so, so legit for a teenager to like, make something like that up. Yeah, and it's like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, like whether it's true or not is kind of. But it's. It's like right. Like you read this, and you can kind of like imagine. Like, well, I mean, like Sov's reaction, right? When like, um, you know, Sether says like they'll even attack people in summer, even their own mm. mothers, and Sov says they can't. Like in shock. And yeah. He's like yeah, no, they can. Sorry, oh. told me about it, and it's like, <laughs> who the fuck's sorry? Like, There's um, so much going on. It's it's so good. But it's like, yeah, it's just like really like sort of like um But then right, it's like it's like weird that like they sort of like share this kind of like moment. And then like after that is when Sov is like, I wanna do this with Sether. I wanna <laughs> <laughs> I, I did like keep thinking of this as like I wanna fuck my cousin. I know. <laughs> it's like it's like there there's like they there is like a weird yeah. sort of like there's 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 more incest in this later sort of kind of it's not really it's like there, there's there's like right there's well say what you're gonna say there's uh, I just I'm trying to find the exact quote I wish I had it handy um I highlighted so much and now I have so many quotes highlighted that I can't find what I did highlight but um because there is a bit where they say that like um because you know they acknowledge that Seth and Sov are cousins. And then, but there's a bit where they specify that they're only, like, third cousins or second cousins. And there's a line about, like, you know, we have a little self-respect here. <laughs> they're like, we have our limits. We wouldn't fuck any cousin. Yeah, well, it's, like, it's, it, it's interesting, right? Because there's, like, a kind of, you see, like, a sort of different sort of family structure. Because there's, like, it's kind of implied that, like, fathers aren't really a thing. Because, like, you wouldn't exactly know who the father is if like yeah you're kind of just raised by every time whoever. you get pregnant yeah but then but then there's also like a kind of like it takes um, a village yeah like yeah like it's it's like right like sov and sether like live in this kind of like clan house where there's like a bunch of different like families that are all like sort of loosely related to each other like living together and, mm -hmm. and sort of like communally taking care of each other and um yeah, I mean, well, so, right, like I said, like, there's no such thing as fathers, but then you do meet Sov's father. It's like, I, I guess it's... To, yeah, get your thoughts on that scene, because I really did not know what was happening at first, and I was very uncomfortable, and then I was like, oh, 
Never mind. It's still kind of uncomfortable. So I actually have a like, it's like a deeply Freudian scene, right? Because <laughs> so, like, but it's like, I mean, this is like my entire my like. If I were to like summarize the story, like, if I were to just like summarize the story in like a couple sentences, I would say it's like what if we, like, started from the basis that, like, the sort of Freud psychosexual stuff is true, but then we could completely build, like, biology and sociology around it to try to create, like, even within this, like, an egalitarian society? Um, <laughs> because what happens, essentially, is, so there's like, a, there's, like, a sort of family tradition where it's, like, seen as, like, desirable or, like, correct, to have your first Kemmer as, like, a woman. Um, Specifically in their family, yeah. Yeah, like, this is, like, specific to, like, their family. Not everyone, but, like, yeah. their family. And when Sov is, like, there's, like, this, like, big party they throw to celebrate that, like, Sov's going to go into their first Kemmer, and they take them to the, the house, the Kemmer house, and they drop them off, and then they leave, and they, like, push them through the door, and they're, like, go on, get in there. And Sov, <laughs> Sov goes in... <laughs> And um, is greeted by is first greeted by this um what's what's his name and I'm I'm saying oh, the him specifically <laughs> the pervert. Well, the point is that he's not actually a pervert. No, no, sorry. I mean that's literally the the word for it that they use. I thought they said half dead. Don't they say they, like both? Okay, they, but it's they like, use um they use pervert in in the novel and yeah they said half yeah. dead and pervert. Um, yeah, I just I think I just was like attracted to pervert because I think because I yeah. just self describe as a pervert but, so consistently. So it's like basically it's like there there are some people in this in this world that are born that when they go into Kemmer they they never come out of Kemmer and they're called half dead and it's seen as like right there's like the the family warns Thov they're like be careful around this person or something. Mm. They These either are, basically become eunuchs or become doorkeepers. Yeah, they like live at the or they like live and work at the Kemmer house because it's like because it's it's seen as like right it's seen as like inherently sexual and so they're like sort of like and and Sov's experience with this person is actually just that like he's a nice and normal person. Like he doesn't he doesn't like come on to them or anything he's just like he's just like a very like welcome to the camera house but like everyone else kind of treats him with like and Sov has like a moment of like sort of self-reflection where it's like Mm -hmm. oh wow this has to be like a really like like dealing with like the social stigma of this has to like really suck like i love the the line that Sov has which is when he's like explaining like Sov is like explaining to the reader um what the situation is with this person but um (laughs) Sov says some of them can be cured. Those who can't, those who can't or choose not to be, live in a fastness and learn the disciplines, or they become doorkeepers. It's convenient for them and for normal people too. <laughs> I love yeah. the ro- <laughs> the roast because it's just I I do feel like the narration of like the, the like retrospective narration. I don't necessarily feel pulls through the whole way. It feels like sometimes you're just you just have a teen narrator because that feels like something that Sov would have thought at the time and maybe would have learned not to say <laughs> from this experience. But they are just kind of like, yeah, not like us normal people, am I right? Well, right, and, and right le- later, it's like responsible de- doorkeepers, of course, keep well away from anybody who doesn't invite them to come close. But permanent yeah. camera may not lead to responsibility of character. 
nor does being called half dead and pervert all your life, I imagine. Right? So it's this like weird kind of like Sav is like on one hand like granting this like kind of biological essentialism that seems like very common to their culture, but also like kind of imagining like but we could also like come up with like a cultural explanation for this. That is like kind of unjust. Um and, like Sav says as much. Sav says like my family misjudged this guy. He was very nice to me. There was no like reason to, for them to like be so like kind of worried about this, but Bob yeah. ha- has this interaction with like the the doorkeeper, and then takes and then goes in and <laughs> is immediately greeted by um, this person who is like a cook in the in the the clan house that they all that they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, like, oh, I've, like, kind of, like, this person, like, seems to have always been, like, a little, like, uh, would, like, give them, would, like, give them, like, extra food. And was, like, very, like, kind of kind and was, like, um, was, like, always kind of, like, watching out for them. But, like, they never really understood why. Um, and um, he, he's camered as a male in this moment. And, like, walks up to Sob and literally, like, picks... <laughs> picks them up <laughs> and the doorkeeper is like whoa like don't like come on too strong <laughs> and he's yeah, like, like this person is clearly in the camera house for the first ever time like has no idea what's going on and then is just picked up by a nude like housemate with a hard on <laughs> yeah i felt his clito penis like a fist between my legs oh my god that was the way i was like <laughs> And then he's like, don't worry, I wouldn't want to hurt my own child. He says get, which I think is, like, their yeah. word for, like, child not that you've given birth to, but child that you, like, contribute yeah. to. If you give, if you are the partner who gives birth, that's your womb child. So I yeah. guess this is, like, the your, your sire. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, but it's, like, not really, like, a sort of socially salient role. Like, you wouldn't be expected to have any kind of I, I get I get a sense that you like aren't expected to but like maybe people do kind of have like like we said like there was like a kind of like familiarity and like sense of kindness that was like from a distance but mm. um but <laughs> so I guess a thing that we haven't mentioned that's maybe like relevant here is that like with the camera it like can be random whether you become like a man or a woman or if you're like around other people that are in Kemmer, you'll kind of Kemmer to match like to be the opposite of whatever they are. Yeah, their so pheromones like, will interact with your natural chemistry. Yeah, and so like if you're like if someone's like Kemmering as a man already and you're about to Kemmer and you like are around them, then you'll Kemmer as a woman. And so like <laughs> this guy, his name is Kareed, comes up to Sov and picks them up and is like i don't want to hurt my own child i just want to be the one that gives her camera as a woman like a proper fade i want to give you that joy little soft <laughs> so it's literally like it's literally castration right like when i said like freudian it's literally like there's the castration you are now a woman um i had not thought of cool. it in that term but i get you completely <laughs> it's cool it's cool you are right, so right. yeah <laughs> Um, right. so much castration meat. You, I, do you listen to Transpanic, the podcast? No, I don't think I do. Oh, it like just started. I, I, I might have said this already. Um, it, it just started. It's only like four or five episodes in. It's um, 
Louise Ward and I'm blanking on the other co-host name, but it's two trans girls talking about transgressive cinema. Um, okay. One of them who's like one of the like kind of grew up in the Canadian like uh, underground film scene, and the other one who is more new to it. And it's just one of them showing the other the most fucked up films she can think of. But um, Louise is the one who's a filmmaker. She has a list, um, and I think she programmed a whole like film series about it um about castration on film um Amazing. it's like her, her whole thing she just knows so much i, I didn't know anything about it this week and now it's back again it's like as soon as you start paying attention there's castration everywhere i guess that yeah. is the entire like background of freudian analysis now that i think of it though right no literally but so like yeah and then like after like he does this. He's like, "All right, now, like, go." Yeah, have and fun. then Sob immediately tries to fuck him. Though. <laughs> We're doubling down on this. Like, Sob comes into Kemmer as a woman, and then, like, because of the natural pheromones, is immediately like, "Well, I'm a woman, and you're a man." <laughs> Sob's dad is like, "Okay, I'm gonna go." And then, like, this, like, other this, like, person that's like, I think, is implied to be like around Sob's age or like closer in age. Um, comes up and she's like, oh, let's like, you know, go hang out in the pool some. Um, and then, like, they have sex, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, they, they like, they like, yeah, it's like fun, little like fun, like lesbian sex stuff. I was um, really um, like pleasantly surprised by that because, again, it was just a question that I had about, you know, their whole society that Ursula Ursula said, I'm going to write this in the 90s specifically for James um, because I always wondered, I mean, as of when I got into this, like, a couple months ago, um, like, how do gay people exist in a society where there is, like, there, like, sex is very much dictated by these monthly cycles, and then when you go into camera, you are either a man and a woman, and if you are one of the, like, if you're a man, you go and have sex with a woman. And, like, it really kind of biologically rules out, like, because it, it, it's almost something you're compelled to do. That's why there are camera houses, is that it's very much like, you will enter this period of the month and you will just, like, only want to fuck. And it's, like, whole society, like, accommodates around that. But that's why I was very curious, how would gay people exist in this? Or are there just not, like, does gayness not exist because so much of like you can have like kind of a marriage type relationship with somebody called Kemmer. Uh, vowing Kemmer, right? Where you vow, vow, yeah. you vow your Kemmer to each other. And it's like, look down, right? This is like a thing that's mentioned like early in the story. This is seen as like um, among. Well, it's seen as like only like a thing for like the nobility or like the upper class. And Sov's family is like very like sort of like lower class, so they're yeah. like, oh, like what you want to be like fancy? Like no, fuck. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> go to the orgy. Actually, like it's like go to the sex house. <laughs> <laughs> it's like literally like they like talk about like they're like yeah if we like saw like people starting to like get too close like we would like intervene to like drive them apart so they wouldn't do this. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it is also very much tied to, like, you you don't vow Kemmer outside of this, like, Kemmering cycle. Like, you only yeah. kind of do this with someone that you have had sex with. And again, if you can only have sex with, like, between a man and a woman, then, like, 
don't know, romance doesn't really exist in this world on the, outside of someone you have sex with. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised that the story is like, and anyway, then they had some fun lesbian playtime. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. For and, then, and, then so, and then someone comes up and just starts fucking the person yeah. <laughs> from behind. And Saab's like, okay, I'm going to go now. <laughs> and then Saab well, and then, and then finds like a man and has sex with him. And, um, well, it's like it's like very cute, right? Because it's like Sav like kind of has like sex with like a couple of different people, and like after each one, Sav is like, "I think I'm in love." I'm in love, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's so it's such a jet. Like I feel like the title almost like plays down because it, it so like does what it says on the tin. Like it really is it's about it's a coming of age story set in Carhide. That like yeah, it does what it says on the tin, but also like it accomplishes it so well and perhaps like maybe some of it is because um like young adult stuff now like coming of age is very associated with like the YA genre now Mm -hmm. and obviously the YA genre is like by and large extremely sexless um so I feel that like at least in in more contemporary stuff and like uh, you know literally we'll see this in the gift that like it's uh com- the gift is completely sexless and it, it and it is kind of verging on YA um but it is really refreshing to read a coming of age story that that is just about like these really natural like bodily and like emotional functions of like hitting puberty and being like i'm in love with anybody <laughs> who makes me feel good and I'm sweaty and I'm self-conscious and I need to have sex immediately. <laughs> like, it's just so nice to read, um, like, such honest kind of descriptions through through that lens. Because if you just describe this for a human, like, part of it would be like, yeah, I know, and. But because it is through that lens of being, like, this alien world, it does feel like a really kind of fun, fresh perspective on something that, like, we're all intimately familiar with already. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 extremely cool. And the yeah, there's like go back to like the gay thing. It's like right, there's like some like cool I don't know, like there's um right, like we don't we don't really like see through like it, it kinda just like cuts to like further away like narration after the Kemmer house and then like but it does describe like Seether, you know, goes through this like a month later and um like Seether Kemmerd is a woman and I Kemmerd is a man and then we fucked, but then like it says like specifically like we kept fucking for like the rest of our lives, <laughs> um, <laughs> but in like in like every combination. So it's right like they did like lesbian shit, they did gay men shit, they did hetero shit, yeah. Um, and then Seether eventually does the um, when when uh, they they never conceived together, right? That's I think what you referenced earlier that they were like, oh, we're cousins, we shouldn't, we can't no, actually no, no, have. They, a kid. Yeah, Seether. Um... It says, it's, it's right at the end. It says, um, Seether brought my, my child Tamor into... Oh, no, sorry. That was a, a, yeah. the first time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as, like, as a woman. Yeah, so yeah, like, they, they replay the scene of, like, yeah. So it's... <laughs> it's, like, a weird, like... Weird, oh, yeah, that's, family that's where it is. We never, yeah. <laughs> we never conceived together being cousins and having some modern schools. That's such a <laughs> funny, like, modern by whose standards? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Like we can we can fuck together, but we can't actually have a kid. Like yeah, and it's so um, it's so interesting because it is still like a, just that hint, like 
contemporary, like, of, like, real world, like, Ursula K. Le Guin world's, like, hang-ups is that, like, there's so much that you can do. You can have cousin fucking in this, but it is still just, like, a little too far for two cousins to have a child together. Like, it's yeah. such a weird detail to throw in. Like, I was not gonna... I wasn't going to assume that they had a child together if you didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's, yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the last sort of detail, right, is that, like, the, the, the girl that she's, that uh, Sob is, like, doing lesbian shit with, they, like, <laughs> they, like, wake up, they wake up together, like, after, I don't know, it's, it's kind of vague on, like, how many days this lasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, like, the implication is, like, two or three, but, like, they wake up together, like, after having both, like, fallen asleep, and then, like, they both, like, come out of Kemmer while they're sleeping. And, like, Sov, like, tries to, like, uh, kiss her tits. And it, yeah. it's just, like, it's just, like, they're just, like, oh, no, that's wrong. Like, no. Yeah, no. they, like, wince. <laughs> <laughs> it's, then, it is so funny, like, the idea that, like, as soon as you're out of Kemmer, tweaking your nipple would be, like, pinching your elbow. Like, it just means nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's just... But, um, and I, I do love, um, I know that it's like so play now, but I did, the, old, the last line literally being the words love is love did, did, did make me laugh a little bit. Like, I, really, I really wasn't expecting it. Like, I know that that wasn't like a joke when she wrote it, but I'm so used to it being like the, the Andy Samberg, I'm not gay rap and stuff. I just always think of um, like the meme that's like, Boy yowie, girl yowie. Yeah! <laughs> love is love. Love is love. <laughs> You're so right. You're so true. God, can you have someone on this podcast to do an episode on yowie? I mean, I want to. Um, I oh, will. You actually, I actually do I mean, know of at least one. I mean, it's not yowie, but... Um... I mean, so I did have... There, there is an episode, not on yowie, but on like the sort of like M slash M uh, like fiction fan fiction shipping things yeah. um i think What's that was just called like it's just called like m slash m to ftm um oh yeah i literally have that in my uh on my eight gigabyte ipod <laughs> it, it's it's great it's cool it's like a couple that met when they are both like writing right. m slash m fiction as hmm. um i don't know i mean like they weren't really like they, they weren't really like into like the whole like anime thing so i don't think you could call them fujoshis but um they both eventually transitioned and that's a whole other i also do want an episode on on trans fujoshis because like the yeah. the pivot from fujoshi being a like from when i was a teenager with being like all all fujoshis from when i was to like trans girls getting into yahweh into the 2020s i love i love the uh the whole curve that we have seen in the fujoshi community yeah you can't see but i'm pointing at myself um exactly i see i see you right. psychically <laughs> right yeah before we started recording i was explaining to james all my favorite demon boys and their uh their their their, their sexual violences <laughs> speaking of fujoshis what is I and Gamora, if not a sci-fi Fujoshi story. It's so weird. I mean, right? So it's like, there's, there are like, it's a weird fucking story. Um, it took me a minute to like, I think I had to reread the half like two or three times before getting to grips on like what meant what and what the dynamics were. Right? Because it's, so like, I and Gamora, right? This is the Samuel Delaney story. And there's like a couple different 
there's a couple different ways of like reading it, right? Because there's like so I and Gamora is set on like a future Earth where there has been a not insignificant amount of like sort of expansion into the solar system, into like, you know, building space like space stations and like colonizing Mars and the moon and all this sort of stuff. But part of the sort of infrastructure work that has to be done on this sort of stuff requires humans to be like in space in a way that would be unsafe for like their gonads specifically i guess and so like for eugenic reasons the governments of earth have like created a third sex of like they take like I think, like, they say, like, well, it's, there, there's, like, a, there's, like, a lot of, the sort of, like, speculation that, like, our main character, who is one of these, these spacers, they call them, and um, the Frelk, who is, like, Frelk is, like, the sort of subculture of people who are, like, sexually attracted to the spacers. Um, <laughs> spacer chasers. Yeah, spacer chasers, yeah. Um the Frelk, they, like, sort of, like, have this, like, kind of, their way of understanding it is that the the spacers were people whose sexual response was um, delayed. And so, like, they were, like, coming into puberty late. And so they were just, like, okay, well, you're not going to be, like, good for, good for eugenic. It's, it's kind of, like, a weird, like, eugenic, um, uh, what's the word? Like, rationale but like whatever they, they, they have some rationale right and like the, the spacer the main character right they sort of like speculate that this was like also a in addition to like concerns about like deformities or something like that there was just also like population control was just like a thing that this was like a convenient way to do population control was just like take a portion of the population and say and castrate them but um <laughs> Right, so it's like it's it's right. There's there's like a kind of the spacers are like implied to be like very androgynous. Um, the main character, like the 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 story opens with like the main character describing like a couple of like different encounters that they have over the course of like a night, where them and their friends are basically just like running around, causing trouble and like flying between like different cities all over the world. And it's like at first they're in Paris and like, um. Right. Uh, someone like comes up to them and is like, "You're like being really loud and running around, and it's really late. Shouldn't you like go home or go somewhere else?" And um, the main character is like, "At the key to West Unfrelk, very And he's like, and it's 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 funny because it repeats this like same interaction basically twice. Right. The, the, this character is a man. That he's talking with, and he says "unfrelk," um, right? The he he fucked yeah. up the, the gender of, of "frelk" in French, um, and then he says, "Like you look like you look as though you may have once been a man, um, but now you have nothing for me." Um, and so then he leaves, and then they go to like Texas, I think. Yeah, they're like the, the like the Texas Gulf, and um, they're like hanging out with like a bunch of shrimp fishermen and like getting drunk. And these, like, sex workers that are, like, waiting for them to leave so they can, like, um, try to, you know, get hired by these shrimp fishermen um, are, like, 
you know, you're, like, wasting our time. Can you, like, please leave? <laughs> and <laughs> the is like, um, usted es una flaca? <laughs> Again, I, I can't. I'm really bad at languages. Um, and, right, it's, it's funny to me that Delaney makes sure to specify, makes sure to give us the information that Frelk is gendered feminine in French, but yeah. masculine in Spanish. And then this woman, right, also says, again, it, like, re- repeats the same sort of, you know, interaction where she says, um, you have nothing that would be useful to me now. Um, you look like you were once a woman, um, and I like women, too. Uh, and Which so, is like, so, so fascinating that, like, the... They, like, you know, the, the introductory exposition to the fact that the spacers are, like, you know, very othered by everyone is specifically by gay people. Yeah, right? It's like this, right? The gay, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, like, I would fuck you if you were sexed, but you're not. So yeah. if you were sexed, sexed in this way, right? Um, and, like, and, they can't win. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, it's, it's interesting too, right? Because I, I sort of, I've read this story like a handful of times and this time I like, I'm usually like kind of a little like, I take narrators like very at their word in story, but this time I was like kind of trying to be like a little bit more, um, or I guess like a little bit less like credulous about like the narrators, what the narrator's saying. Because later when he actually does find a Frelk, he's like kind of like weirdly standoffish with her. But he's also, like, in these first two pages, we see him just, like, going up to random people and be like, hey, are you a Frelk? Hey, are you a Frelk? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, like, kind of, like, and then, like, getting, like, bad when they're like, no, I'm not. And so it's, like, right, he has this, like, kind of weird, like, um, it seems like he has, like, a weird kind of reaction to them, I guess. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but... They go to Istanbul, and this is, like, where, like, the bulk of the story takes place, which is really just, like, kind of a conversation between, like, our... Do we, do we ever get the spacer's name, or do I we just have, so. like... I don't think so. I think it's, it's all just... all first person. Yeah, it's all first person. I don't think that they ever say, like, a name. But, like, he finds this, um... Right? He he finds this this woman who... Do we, do we get her name, either? Uh, oh, I think she gives it, like, right at the end. Maybe. Maybe. But, like, <laughs> right, like, the, the spacers sort of have, like, a conversation. The spacers are, like, having conversations amongst themselves, and, like, the one's kind of like, oh, I'm gonna go find, like, a... The one's like, oh, am I, get, I, didn't get, I haven't got my paycheck yet. I guess I'm gonna have to go find a frelk to, like, fuck. It's, like, all the, all the sort of, like, frelk interactions are very much like um it's all it's all sex work like it, it's it's yeah. i guess like there's there's not really like any kind of in principle version that it couldn't be but it seems like the way the spacers are talking about it amongst themselves it seems like this is a thing that they only really do for money uh except for the main character right the main character like kind of has this like weird like Right, he keeps saying to the the Frelk that eventually finds him, he's like, you don't have to, like, give me something that's, like, actually, you don't have to, like, actually pay me, like, money. You don't, you just have to give me something. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to actually be worth the amount of money that, like, whatever the, like, fair rate is in uh, Istanbul. But just, like, you know, give me, like, something that you, something that you like. Um, and, like, But, yeah, there's, like, 
Oh yeah, and then like one of them tells a story, but like right, they're they're in Istanbul. They're all just like talking around, and like the ones like oh, I'm gonna go like you know find a frolk to to make some money, and then one of them is like you know last time I was here, I like went to this like part of town that's like a frolk spacer hangout, and I saw these two people that were that looked like spacers, but I realized they were actually like men and women disguised as spacers trying to pick up frolk. That dynamic. Like, I almost wish there was an entire second story just about that. Because I know, it, right? I'm like, what the, the hell is going on there? Because, like, it, it is very, like, you know, it's, it's easy to just put, like, you know, spacer equals trans, frelk equals chaser, in which case, like, you know, it's, it's fairly easy to read, like, the dynamics of the spacer, like, some of the spacers having kind of, like, disdain for the frelks, and some of them just seeing them as a way to make money and then the main character obviously having this weird relationship where like they kind of want affection and like physical intimacy but also kind of like are repelled by it when they meet an actual frelk but then this dynamic where it like i can't i can't math that one out at all because the idea of like pretending to be trans because you your fetish is fucking chasers i guess would be the only like that that one really puzzles me but not in a bad way just in like i i could sit with that all day <laughs> elaney is great at like coming up with sexual cultures and then being like and here are the freaks within that like here's the <laughs> weird shit like here um, are the really fucked up genders for your podcast yes oh i would love i would love um but yeah no right it's this like but then there's the sort of right it's it's so weird, right? Because like, there's the obvious read on this, which is that like the fr- the spacers are this like kind of third sex. But then like you kind of like right like as they talk, it's like not just that it's like a third sex, right? There's also this like weird sort of like age dynamic to it, right? Where it's yeah. like right they talk about like they talk a lot about like um, the sexual maturity being delayed. The Frelk says at one point she's like sometimes I think that like we are the ones that they missed like we should have qualified to become spacers but for some reason didn't and so like now we're just sort of like i don't know like weirdly like kind of like searching for this experience that we're not having but like um there's also like a weird like sort of comparison with like necrophilia um right um yeah yeah where i i don't i don't i don't really get that um I think, uh, to me, so I read that as, like, because the spacers have, like, this delayed or non-existent, like, you know, puberty almost, um, that, like, some frelks see having sex with a spacer as, like, almost like a challenge, like, can you, like, they're, like, it's, like, the highest conquest is, like, can you get off with someone who physically cannot get off and so the necrophiles thing was like have you seen the killing of a sacred deer no i have not oh there's just this this is literally the the start and end of it is just there's a scene of colin farrell and nicole kidman having sex but she's just like lying on the dead the the bed pretending to be dead um and um it's a good movie um but yeah like i read it kind of like that as that like some like some frelks see it as like a challenge but like the way this woman sees it is that because they have no response that like 
it's it's like fucking a dead body kind of yeah but i think that's like something that even the characters are like trying to like i don't think that that's necessarily like a that that she's correct or incorrect that's like even the characters don't really know where they fit and like how their attractions fit with each other because they have like kind of been sectioned off as like a like a, a subculture or like a fetish or something so they don't like it is kind of taboo for them to be to have this attraction so like they don't even know like what exactly is the deal because they're not supposed to want to have sex with a cha- uh, spacer right there's like a point where um i found her name her name is yuri yuri says she says like um uh i want you because you can't want me that's the pleasure if someone really had a sexual reaction to us we'd be scared away um and then there's a necrophile thing but that's like a a sort of like right that feels like different there's like a couple different like i guess there's like a couple different like emotions going on it's like (laughs) all right i'm like thinking about like the fujoshi comparison you made earlier right (laughs) but like it does feel like there's right like there's i find i find a lot of the ways that people read fujoshis to be sort of like to seem to be just like a little bit like weird but there is like a kind of Right, there, there is, like, a reading of it where it's, like, oh, these are, like, young girls, and sex is scary, but they're curious, so if they sort of, like, you know, embroil themselves in these worlds of, like, gay male homosexuality that are really kind of remote for them, and they don't really have any, like, they don't feel like anything that happens there can touch them, then that, like, feels safe. Mm. And so it feels like there's, like, a kind of, like, right, maybe, like, that's, like, a sort of, which I think, like, would fit in in a sense, with what Yuri speculates about with, like, the, um, having the sort of, like, delayed sexual response, right? That it's, like, this sort of, like, sexual, res- that, like, coming into, like, a sort of sexuality is, like, something that's still happening and it's, like, still kind of unsure for her. And, I mean, right, it's, it's like, specified that she's young, you know? I mean, I guess she she's, like, a grad student, right? So she's probably, yeah, she's like, like mid-20s. Yeah. Well, the spacer says that they're 23, but the, well, no, the spacer lies and says that they're 23, but they're actually 25. Oh, yeah. Um, right? Uh, the younger that they think you are, the more they pay you, but I didn't want her damn money, right? Like, this is the thing that, like, they keep repeating themselves. They're like, I don't want the money. I don't care about the money. Um, <laughs> they need to have that uh, Theodore Sturgeon attitude and be like, pussy's so good. She, uh, she paid me. <laughs> Roots. I actually oh, my did God. want it. Ask about that, like, your thoughts on, like, I think in every story except The Gift, there is an element of sex work, which I didn't expect, like, as a, I expected some degree of, like, sexuality would probably be in all of them, but I didn't, I didn't. Is there there sex work in Coming of Age in Carhide? Well, I mean, the, um, the, in the, in the the summer house. Yeah. Like it's not it's not sex work in the sense we don't really know like what the economy of Carhide is like so like yeah. it's not yeah. in the traditional <laughs> sense but in the sense that like there are people yeah because especially the doorkeeper like their job quote unquote is to just like live and work at this uh, orgy place so it's not necessarily like they're being paid for sex work but also like their work involves sex but also we don't even know if they're getting paid because we don't know if anybody has money in car <laughs> right 
I guess that's why people like reference buying things. So I guess yeah, I think it's more that that has an element of like I like brothel keeping, but if it was free, <laughs> it's really stupid. Um, yeah, but yeah, like definitely it has um. There's elements yeah. in all of them of kind of uh, of sex work. No, that's an interesting observation and one that I mean I guess there's like a couple of different ways that I could think about that. Right, like my my gut impulse is just that like sex work kind of tends to find itself in the same boxes as like weird sex stuff generally and so like it's just kind of there right like it's the same way that like yeah i don't know like it's it's just sort of like there like there's um i don't know yeah like, like anytime you're writing about something that is like considered like deviant sexually there will always be like and someone will pay good money for that yeah exactly yeah okay yeah. um yeah and, and so I, I think that was kind of it i did think it was kind of i don't know i didn't know what to make of it that the that yuri lies about like what the fair rate is for a paper <laughs> and like right like she says it's like 60 lira and then at the end of the story one of the other facers who did successfully like um i guess like uh Right. Um, What's the word? Okay. Yeah. Uh, fuck work. Yeah, work. I guess like yeah. fuck up for money. It's like the going rate is eighty lira, but this guy paid me a hundred and fifty. Um, that really yeah. is like a. <laughs> never mind. I was wrong. They actually do have some. Be like. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I actually didn't even. I'm God. I'm so stupid. I didn't even notice that. Um, yeah, no, but it's right. It's 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 interesting, right? I'm like kind of like, is she like, was she trying to, you know, <laughs> right? It's so it's so weird. Um, like if she, I mean, maybe there's just different rates for I don't know. <laughs> maybe she's also just maybe that's just like what is that is just what she thinks because that's how much she usually yeah. She does it. specifically mention being being like a broke student. Yeah. Yeah, which also is so interesting that like in in the economy of this story, like it is like this this obsession almost with the spacers is such that like with what little money you have as a student, you're covering like food, rent, sex work. Like it's yeah. it's up there in like what she is willing to spend, what little money she has on. Right, <laughs> she's like. <laughs> She's like, oh, I've got like some frolic friends. Let me go talk to them. And <laughs> main character's like, oh, are you gonna take up a collection, or <laughs> or do you want to r- run a train? <laughs> and she's like, she's like both. They should be so lucky, right? But it's right. It's strange, right? There, there's like, there's a lot of sort of. There's a lot of weird stuff going on here. I, I I never know what to make of this. I think there's so much like I remember one time a couple of years ago, I like told one of my roommates about this story and I was like, You you just need to read this, like here. And I like handed him my copy of this book and was like, I'm gonna go take a shower. When I, <laughs> <laughs> when I get out of the shower, we'll talk about this. And I did. And the thing that he pointed out to me that I, I appreciated was like the kind of where was it? Let me see if I can't find the um if I can't find the line, but it's like, um, she says something like, you know, like, um, 
we we like couldn't like um like what would I be if not for you? Like I wouldn't exist without you. Like I um oh yeah, here we go. I think um I think it's sad that they have to alter you to make you a spacer. If they hadn't, then we if spacers had never been, then we could not be the way that we are. Um, right? And then there's like this like sort of like weird idea of like your existence depending your like sort of like sexual identity your like way of being in this like particular aspect of the world depending on this like technological innovation and depending on also right like this is a thing that's being done like non-consensually to these kids yeah it is like they are not it does not seem like they get a choice in it like and it's 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 really kind of i don't know it's like kind of horrifying um, if you like think about it a little bit too much but yeah like the position <laughs> that the frelix have is so it's just so interesting that like i don't know for one that like i mean the, the entire it's like called free fall sexual displacement i think yeah um, free fall sexual displacement yeah just the idea that like it's almost like a chicken and the egg situation of like did we have this like want and then that was like always there and then finally technology in a way that it could conjure into being something that would satisfy that want or was it that there was never a want there until a spacer was created and as soon as the first spacer was created so was someone who wanted to fuck them right right and yuri's so like she's so melancholy about it she's like i don't like this i don't like being a frelk and I know you have an episode on Chasers, and I don't think I've listened to it yet. It was, like, on my list. I wish I had, because it's just, it's something that, like, I don't know that much about, but, like, Are you I thinking don't... about the the one uh, TS Peach emoji for Chaser Eggplant emoji? <laughs> I think yeah. so, yeah. I haven't yeah. listened, yeah, it's on my, it's literally there. It says I, it's on my I do I still just need... on the T14 one. Fuck, I was like right before that. <laughs> I do still need to. I do still need to find a chaser that I can talk to because that episode is right talking with a trans girl that fucks chasers. Which, um, yeah, I'll let you know if I ever yeah. one. I feel, but that's that's what I want to say is that like I I just don't know enough about chasers and like whether it is like in the way that Frelks are a self-identified group. Like, I feel like you don't really get someone calling themselves a chaser. Like, it's more something that is described, like, that you used to describe another person. Whereas I don't feel that I am, not that I'm aware of, I don't know of, like, you know, a, a self-identified, like, <laughs> like chaser movement. It's like, you know? it's, like, rare. Like, one of the, like, few instances I can think of, in media, at least, of someone referring to themselves as a chaser is, like, the, uh, the Cal scene in season two of Euphoria, where he like, no, oh, I haven't watched it. Okay, he comes into the house like really drunk, and he's like, "I'm a pig. I'm a man. I'm a chaser." And then he <laughs> he like says this like while his like mother and children are like, or his his wife and children are like looking at him, and then he pulls out his dick and pisses on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I this is the first time I've ever wanted to, whatever that guy. <laughs> Euphoria is a. Euphoria takes. I'll drop them if the uh, if the um, if the Patreon gets to a hundred dollars. So. Um, yeah, I just don't know. Probably already subscribed. So, um, but tell your friends. <laughs> Hell yeah.
Um, I want to get this Euphoria episode. <laughs> um, I, yeah, like, I just, I'm very fascinated by, like, I think I am more interested in the Frelks than I am the Chasers in I and Gamora, which I didn't expect going into it. Like, I mean, first of all, I didn't know what I was getting into at all, and it took me a while to, like, read it and understand what was a Frelk. Um, but then once I got that, I was just like, yeah, especially because the protagonist is quite passive. Um, like, yeah. and it is mostly Yuri talking and mostly her talking about, you know, like you said, like she's very melancholy. And I was like, so interested in like how she was so invested in this identity, which depends completely on somebody else. But at the same time, like, I guess that's what, I mean, that's kind of what being T for T is in a way. Like, I, you know, I can't, I would feel very T for T, but also I do need another T in the room for that to work. Well, and it's, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because I was also thinking about, right, like, how much of the, the spacer's passivity is, like, true. Because like I said at the beginning, right, like, the this book opens with them, like, the first couple interactions we see with them are them, like, people saying to them, like, you should get out of here and then being mm-hmm. like hey are you a frelk which is like contextually like another way of saying like would you want to fuck me and like yeah. it's like in right it's like this like sort of like and it's i mean right it's like a story so it's always kind of like there's redundancy like there's a couple different ways you can interpret it but it is like i could interpret that as being like oh i'm like um like, I want to fuck, but I don't have any way of actually doing that, right? Because the whole thing with the spacers is that they're not supposed to have a sex, right? And so they, like, this is their only outlet, like, is this. And so, like, if the spacer, like, despite not having sex, actually does, like, want to fuck, like, this is their only way of doing that. And they don't really, like, it seems like they're not satisfied with it, right? Because they're, like, they're, like, they're, like, pissed off about, like, the fact that they, like, have to they, like, don't want money, but they also want this person to, like, follow the rule, like, to, like, give them something they want them to be some exchange. I don't know. It just seems like, I think this time I read it with, like, the spacer being much more, like, I hadn't read it like this previously, but when I read it this time, I found the spacer much more, like, I, I, I sort of, like, try, I, I found that, like, you could see a reading of this where the spacer is, like, sexual, despite sort of like mm-hmm. not supposed to be right like um which is also right like this is a thing that like i think it's kind of right like at one point like yuri says like you are a child <laughs> um which is yeah. like a little like i don't know delaney has some uh some takes on um the question of like sex with children or sex between children and adults and um there's, there's, I feel like if we get into that, that's, like, going to become the rest of it. There's just, like, a whole can of worms there. Um. The last thing I do want to say, um, just because I was looking for the reference to make sure I had it there, but um, it reminds me, that, like, conflict that the spacer has of sort of going after people, but then immediately shying away from that attraction. Um, I was trying to figure out what it was reminding me of specifically, because I had the feeling, but I knew I had seen it written down somewhere. It's in a short comic by Hal Shreve, the author, um, yeah. uh, who, do you, do you know Hal? I've read a little bit of some of his stuff. I forget exactly what. Um, I think Hal uses, Hal uses oh, Z. Z, Z, her, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so stuff, yeah. Hal has a, a novel called Out of Salem, but also posts a bunch of comics on Twitter. This isn't actually from Vivian's Ghost. This was from some short comics that Z posted to Twitter that I then <laughs> queried when I was putting together an anthology on uh, having a bad time on the internet and then just message Hal being like, can I put your comics in? Because they're very much about that. Um, but there is a, a short comic where Hal is talking about like this tension of um, being like a sexually active trans teenager and <laughs> like, and there's a panel where they say, one thing I knew for sure. Okay, two, one. I want to have sex with grown men who want my body, too. But it's evil to want to fuck a trans man minor. <laughs> and I just, like, I feel that tension in that, like, so much of being, like, like wanting to have sex with somebody, like, you know, wanting to chase the frolic and to find someone who will want you for what you are specifically, that, like, self-fetishization of, like, somebody who, you know, is not, like, who's, who doesn't know that how to find someone else who will like them for their body but also as soon as you meet someone because it's it's when when the protagonist first meets yuri she is making very deliberate eye contact with them like she is kind of like cruising a little bit like she's sort of seeking them out but is also sort of playing that like push and pull of not being self-incriminating until they like approach her and i think that is like one of the things that really like freaks them out is the fact that she She's like an active participant and that's like a completely different dynamic where you're like oh fuck like but it's weird if you like I want to be fucked by someone who wants me and as soon as someone's like hey I want to fuck you being like that's a bit weird <laughs> like why do you want that so bad you're kind of a freak yeah especially if they are like kind of in um like a not not childlike, but like sort of a, a a young adult. If they're, I mean, twenty five, I think they said, but like, yeah, yeah, that's still that's still young. <laughs> no, but I mean, like that's 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 sort of exactly. I think that's a. I don't know. Like that was a, that was a kind of that was a tension I was like aware of, right? As like a young child was like this. Oh, is totally. Like, um, this is something that I have said on the podcast before, and then redacted and. <laughs> I'll leave it in this time because the redaction had more to do with my my guests. Um, it's Jodie Lore for the Patreon subscribers. <laughs> but like, no, this was like a thing that like I was aware of. I think I might have actually even said this on a non-redacted episode. Like, um, right, that like I was like, I want to right, like as like a like I don't know, like fourteen year old probably was like I want to have sex, obviously, but like <laughs> the idioms that are available for me, for me to do that all feel sort of like unacceptable and like one of the idioms was like I could find an older man and I was mm -hmm. like the the way the reason that that felt unacceptable to me was like I was like well it just kind of seems like other people really don't like that <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and like for good reason I think I at the time I recognized it was like probably there there were there were good reasons for that and Currently, I still recognize that there are good reasons for that being like not a not a good option. But it was like that was like one reason that that sort of had like equal weight to other sort of like in in when I say equal weight, I mean equal like sort of like 
influence on my decisions as like other sort of not morally weighty concerns about like why other options just weren't like an option for me um and i don't know it's like that's like a sort of dynamic that i never see people really talk about i think because it's like a thing that you kind of tend to forget about once you start actually having sex because you're just like oh yeah i don't want to think about like (laughs) um being a horny 14 year old that was like a that was a really uncomfortable time in my life i just don't want to think about it oh that's uh, why i really like hell's comic yeah i'll send it to you afterwards no please do that sounds like a that sounds like a yeah that sounds like a great little um Whenever I see someone talk about that, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm so fascinated um, because, yeah. On to Imago. This is the first of the two stories that we have, both from the collection Meanwhile Elsewhere. Um, Which I was, it was a very, very um, formative collection for me. Huge, huge moment <laughs> in my life when that came out. Yes, I have only read, I've read, I've read like a smattering of stories in here. I was, I didn't get all the way through it, but after I finished um, the the two stories from it, I, I was reading a Sybil Lambs story, mm. uh, Cybervania, which uh, I'm, I'm still not done with yet, but it's it's really fun so far. Um, where is, okay, Amago. So Amago is like fucking wild. There's like... <laughs> I I love I love Imago so like so much so much going on in this it's like about like right it's like about this like future where they have this like drug that can bring people back to life for a couple days yeah revivernal yeah but it's like and it's like while it like kind of like makes you like temporarily like immortal like during those like couple days it's like really hard for you to die again but like you will die when the drug runs off unless you get more of it. But, like, the only, like, situation in which, like, you're legally allowed to use this drug is to, like, revive murder victims so that you can, like, catch Interrogate the them. So you can catch their murderer. Well, like, right, I was, like, expecting, like, okay, they revived this, like, woman. They're just gonna, like, let her, like, you know, they're, like, gonna keep her here. And then they just, like, let her go home. <laughs> and I was, like, I was, like, what? I was like, okay. I mean, I guess that's, like, nice. Like, I guess that's yeah. better, like, for I her. I guess, like, what else would you do with her? But, like, I was, like, I kind of just expected that they would, like, I don't know, like, keep her in, like, a hospital for a couple days while they, like, questioned her or whatever. But, like... I guess they kind of, like, it's just implied that they that they do interview her and that they don't really get a lot of information. And then it is kind of a matter of being, like, allowed to go say your last goodbyes. I think there's an element of, like, thinking it's a like a gift to be able to say like because they because they contact the family and say like do you want to come see your dead daughter again and like all of her friends know that she's back and they all like her they friends all say are, no they all yeah say no, we don't <laughs> see her because they like say like it was already painful enough to lose her the first time like yeah but i think from work. the police perspective they are thinking like okay well we we like we could either keep her in a hospital where she'll just like die in 48 hours and just like or we can we can give her the chance to you know make amends and say her last goodbyes but like realistically everyone's like i don't want to do that right yeah it's interesting it's also interesting like how i feel like this is like one of the least trans i mean i guess like um it's more trans than uh whatchamacallit 
the world well lost. But like the fact that this character is trans is like I make I guess it's kind of cool that right they say like um oh like when you revive someone with this drug like they come back a little bit different like they're not exactly and when she comes back she's like forgotten that she's trans and she like only like remembers it because she well she doesn't even like remember that it's her she like finds among her stuff like a pamphlet that's like post-op care information for like trans srs and she's like is that mine or like my ex's or that's my favorite thing about the story though i love really cool it is like really cool it is really like fun i love the whole meditation on like where in you is your like it, it it necessitates kind of a setup where they don't talk about the transness at first because you as the reader kind of have to get into the mindset of like not caring about it so that it's like as much of a shock to you as it is to her when you're like oh wait there's trans stuff in the story which i guess is a little bit thrown off by the fact it's in like a trans anthology but um right yeah like, i was like i assume this character's going <laughs> to like but I, I guess, like, that is why it works really well. It's, like, a kind of hand-bound book. That I love loaning my little book of it to people so that they, like, don't know um, the background. But I, I love it from that perspective of, like, so much of the language in the story is situating Tabitha, like, in, like, her relationship to her body is so distant. Like, there's a line where she very initially describes herself as, like, that's me, I am the body. And then sometimes she's, like, I don't know if I am Tabitha or if I'm just like something inside of her and like the real me is off somewhere else. And it's not until she kind of realizes that she is trans that she feels that wholeness again. Cause there's the comparison to a migrant losing all connection to their home country as an effect of fracturing. And I, 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 I really love Imago cause I just think it's like so sweet. Like it's so sad, but it's such a sweet kind of like, love letter to being trans in a way to being like this woman literally is like fractured and is missing a part of herself when she doesn't know that she's trans like she could like even if she lived on and she didn't die after 48 hours if she came back and she just thought she was a cis woman she just wouldn't be right like she doesn't actually she isn't able to like rest in peace until she actually knows that she was trans and because that is like the most essential part of her like it is part of like her well, soul and like what makes her a person and it's connected also with like so much of the other stuff going on in this right like you're talking about this like sort of like i am that body that's mm. like not just a that's like not right like to, to go back to the thing that we started this entire conversation with like that is not just like a metaphor in this in the in this sort of yeah like, that is like literal because the other thing that is, that is true about tabitha is that she is um blind and in this future in this future she had like um robotic eyes and when she was murdered the person that murdered her cut the eyes out to steal them to sell them and so when she is like you know revived they like give her this like shitty like little camera that they like hook up to the gopro yeah no and so she's literally looking at herself in the third person and she's like, oh, this is like so like disorienting. And she's like, my old cameras were way better. This camera that they gave me sucks. I like don't know. Like, she was like, yeah, my old eyes could like, I could like see around me with them. They could like, 
be around corners because they could like use shadows to like extrapolate things and like I hate these eyes. And so <laughs> another another really cool thing. The story's like got like so much like just like weird details that are like so cool, right? Like she's like um oh what's the word for it? Um a lepido, lepidoptero. Oh, a lepidopterist. Lepidopterist, right? And <laughs> as part of her, as part of her lepidoptery, she had been like she made these like little drones that were like shaped like butterflies that she was going to like program to like follow like a butterfly migration to like record data. And she hadn't sent them out by the time that she was murdered. So then when she gets back to her house, she like hacks them into her eyes. So she like has these like eight butterflies that are just like flying around her that she's like using to see it Um, all comes together so well like there's so many discrete parts that would feel like oh you're just throwing that in because it's a little image but because you have like that overarching theme of like the the like the butterfly because there's little segments about lepidoptery in between and because it is about like butterflies that like remember past parts of their past selves through the chrysalis and stuff like that yeah yeah like it all it just all like comes together so well no and then there's also like the right and then there's god yeah like the the sort of like the climactic scene where she like finds the person that like well they find the person that like stole her eyes specifically but then she's like well why did you do this and he's like i just needed your eyes and she's like i don't believe you i've seen you before you know me who like put you up to this and then it's, like, it turns out that he's, like, got this disease that, like, drives people psychotic. And, like, he was promised, like, a cure by this woman that was, like, bring me, like, robot parts and I can cure you. And that was just her, like, she was just doing that to make money, I guess. But then yeah, when, like, she finds this out, she's like, okay, well, I'm going to go kill this bitch. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> She goes, and she does it, and, like, when she's, like, in the room, like, really, like, grotesquely, like, murdering this woman, like, the the scene of her, like... The two scenes of violence are so, like, because the one one earlier on where she remembers, like, her eyes reconnect, and without any warning, like, she remembers her own murder through, like, the, the cybernetic inputs of her eyes, like, it's so, it's, like, it... Like, it's so... I feel like I can hear the baseline when I read that, because it's got a really weird formatting that, like, reminds me so much of, like... I mean... <laughs> like, I, I know 100 Gex is, like, the obvious, like, comparison, but, like, I feel like you can just... It's, it's just, like, the way it's laid out on the page with this, like, fucked-up punctuation and these repetitive words, like... I feel like you can just hear the, like, sonic breakdown, even just from reading it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, when she um, murders the, the Red Witch, that, that's just gnarly. It's so, it's so it's good. Genuinely, like, unhinged. You're like, holy shit, this person. But then she also It doesn't gets... pull punches. No, it does not. And then she also gets with that, like, all the memories of, like, her lover, who's, like... She's, like, been getting, like, little, like, flashes of, like, throughout, but she, like, really doesn't remember her, and you get this, like, sort of, like, right? Like, I think her lover had died, like, years ago by the time that she Nine years, yeah. Yeah, and they'd only been together for, like, four months, but it was this, like, really intense relationship, and, like, 
but it was also right like really painful because her lover got this right this like disease that like I, I was I was actually kind of unclear on so this Tabitha Tabitha also has the disease, but she like has like a latent form of it or something like no, that. No, she so Tabitha has albinism unrelatedly. Okay, because um, the disease is called like the white death or something like that. that that's the thing is it's I think it's mentioned one time that like when she was a kid she was bullied for being for having albinism. And then that it was connected to the disease. I think she was being bullied for that, and then when the disease like started spreading like it, it doubled down and people would start treating her like she okay. was the thing causing it which is why when Diane kind of breaks down she says all these things that are like Tabitha's worst fears because like Tabitha obviously knows that she isn't actually related to the disease and she's like that's why it hurts even worse because she knows that she she isn't the reason because I think it mentions specifically that like there's a vaccine that only people with a certain like genetic combination or whatever like can use like most people don't have the right genes for it and when they're at the funeral for a, a friend of theirs who died of the disease everybody's like oh yeah it's a shit that we don't have that and Tabitha's like yeah I know and then afterwards why did you lie <laughs> because she does she is actually immune to the disease okay interesting yeah I hadn't I hadn't exactly put all that together because it was like yeah, yeah little, it's a little yeah. bit dense. It's a little bit dense. There's, like, a lot of moving parts, right? But, yeah, like, the, the sort of, like, the pain of, like, that moment where, um, yeah, her lover, is it D- Diane? Yeah. Diane, yeah. Diane, yeah, is, like, is, yeah, like, blaming her for, like, getting sick is, like, so, like, fuck. Like, oh, my God. It's God. so hard. And then when she immediately, because, like, she, she hits Tabitha and then immediately, like, not egg, egg well i mean the psychotic episode ends and she like doesn't know why tabitha's crying and tabitha has her finger over the panic button to get the nurse but she doesn't press it like it kills me every time yeah, um yeah it's <laughs> but yeah and then like it's it's a little it's a little on the nose sometimes but like the entire tabitha remembering that she is trans and deanne just being like why wouldn't you be proud of this and like even though it's like so like looks into the camera and tells you like it's trans i'm still like yeah it is <laughs> it is nice yeah but yeah i really love um i i've i oh god i hope you can't hear that my dog's going crazy outside You're um, fine. <laughs> the i i specifically like my little like area of expertise well not expertise but like my area of research um I never explained who I was when I came on or like why I'm like <laughs> remotely qualified to talk about this. Um, belatedly, uh, I am, I, I am a writer. So I do like write like my own trans sci-fi and fantasy and horror stories, but I am also an editor of an anthology. And um, I've also written like essays and done a couple of conference presentations on the topic of like depictions of transition and of HRT, like specifically like physical and medical transition in like contemporary trans sci-fi and fantasy um, to see like, how do we picture transition when we are not like bound by the rules of like the world as it is now. Um, And that's, and specifically within that uh, there's a good few that are about like undead trans people. So I got really into that specifically and being like, why do trans people keep writing 
like zombies and vampires and ghosts and like undead people um and a lot of it is like fairly obvious it's like you know trans people famously die a lot so it's nice to have like a power fantasy that dies but then they like come back um and i remember that's one of the other stories in meanwhile elsewhere um delicate bodies right How yes to, yeah um, yeah that was the other big one that's a very funny. a very sort of gruesome moment where a woman like literally like just physically inverts her penis she doesn't like, even invert it. it she just rips it off like <laughs> um that, it's such a completely oh different tone but um i very intense yeah there, there's wildly varying tones um and definitely like you know it's a matter of personal preference and imago is more like the kind of thing that i like like it's a little um like the writing in stuff like the gift and in delicate bodies is a little bit more uh casual in a way that's like not usual um but at the same time like it's so self-indulgent and like i, I mean we could the gift obviously but um there is yeah. something very uh there is something quite nice to just reading a story and being like you just had the most fun doing this, didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah, no, I I enjoy when I can tell that a writer is really like, uh, really just going at their own stuff. Just like mm-hmm. like Delaney is a great writer for that. Like anytime that like it happens all the time that there'll be like a male character that's just wearing one shoe, and it's like <laughs> I don't fucking get it, dude. But like I understand what this is doing for you, and I appreciate it. I support you. <laughs> Like, <laughs> so specific. <laughs> like, it's not even like a foot thing. It's like one shoe, like one barefoot, one shoe. When you imagine, when you're a sci-fi author who imagined a possible permutation of human sexuality, you just gotta make up something new for yourself. You gotta find new boundaries <laughs> and then oh, break them. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really like Imago, though. I don't. My my parting thoughts is that I. I think that we we talked about it a little bit vaguely, so I think you could t- still read it and like even knowing kind of the general, just have a good time. Um, I yeah. I think that like my my biggest complaints about Imago are honestly like it's a little bit dense, but I also know that like when you submit a short story to an anthology, like there is a word count. So yeah. I would love like I would love it to be expanded to like a, a novella, even like just it feels like there's room for that. There's, yeah, there's yeah. Definitely the room for that. It is like a really cool story. There's like, yeah. There's just like, it does feel like for how much stuff is in it, it does feel like the author really thought about like, okay, what are all this sort of implications for this? And that's just something I really enjoy in sci-fi when like you see like the implications of these things that are not like, again, and an- another like weird like necrophilia moment, right? There's like. Oh, yeah, I meant to say that, yeah. <laughs> right? Like and the, the sex driver. work moment, yeah. Yeah, like, the the, the driver is, like, um, oh, yeah, that's right, right? The driver is, like, you know, if you're willing to lie st- still, I know some people that'll pay some really good money for this. And, like, he says that at first, and she's just, in the first time that he's, like, driving her home from the morgue. And then, like, later, he's driving her somewhere else, and she's, like, you know, I actually, like, need some of that money to do something real quick, like... <laughs> the, uh... and that's one of my favorite lines when like it's the scene ends it's implied that she's about to go have sex with somebody who will like pay her to lie still and pretend she's dead and then the next scene just opens with tabitha going 
if I'm completely 100% honest with myself, it's not the worst sex I've ever had. <laughs> really? Oh my god, Tabitha. Girl. <laughs> what a queen. Oh my god. Yeah. I do like the idea of having little like butterflies around as your like visual input. That sounds really cool. Um, it, honestly, like I, I'm very much, um, I, I rarely, like, I, I don't really like when people talk about short stories or books and stuff and they're like, oh my God, this would be such a great film as if like, that's the natural endpoint of any art that like the best thing you can be is like a live action film. Even if something's like a really great animated film, it's like, oh, what if it was live action? Um, all that said, I still think that Imago would make such a beautiful film. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, it would. I, I I could see it. I could. I can really see it. it. Does have a lot of like very filmic qualities. Um, yeah. The the cam. I mean the camera work, but like the literal camera work is um so well described without being like like it can be um very yeah. jarring if somebody just like describes a scene too much. You're like, okay, yeah, you just want me to picture this, but there's no interiority. But like the way she marries, um, the kind of the removal that Tabitha feels from her own sight i feel is very well done yeah no it yeah it rolls on to the gif what do you like, think this is like such a weird story i know right <laughs> i was like so confused i was like so confused it's like it's i like... felt like i should I, I i told you that that was like i think i told you it was an interesting one to read and only like today i was like i should have specified that like I don't love it. <laughs> like, it's not really okay, my. It was like, it's not I, my favorite story, but it's interesting. Yeah, right. Because it's like, I mean, it's it's not really like. I guess like the sort of like science fiction. There's not really any like technology or yeah any setting. The the setting is really just kind of like Earth. If everyone was like really really cool about trans people. <laughs> In like a weird way, like in like a sort of like overdone way. Like, what if everyone was like that really uncomfortable? What if like every single fucking person in that world was like that girl that's like really like when you come out is like, oh, I want to show you makeup. Which like, I love the girls in my life that were like that for me, but like, there there is an archetype of this, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. What if everything, right? Like, what if you're. <laughs> We need some Theodore Sturgeon kind of allies in the world to balance things out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, really funny. I mean, the story is basically just, like, this this trans girl comes out, right? She was, yeah. the, like, she was like the, the quarterback on the football team, and then she comes out as trans and has to... It's just, like, kind of, like, the couple days around that, right? And it's, like... It's so funny. The dad is, like... She, like, comes out to her parents at dinner, and the dad's, like... The dad, like, um, the dad, like, misgenders her by accident, and is like, <laughs> he's like, I just want to make sure that you're, like, gonna stick with Samantha as your name, if that's, like, the name that you want, like, I just, like, don't want to have to do all this paperwork twice, and they're like, this is really just not the time to be talking about that, and he's like, you know what, damn it, you're right, I always swore that if my child was transgender, I would be a good father, and I'm like, I'm like, on the one hand, like, I do actually think that that's, like, if, like, you know, someone that is close to me were becoming a parent, I would probably counsel them, like, 
if someone who was close to me and not queer or trans was becoming a parent, I would probably counsel them, like, you should really think hard about how you're going to deal with your child potentially being, like, gay or trans or whatever. Mm. Like, that is true. It is just very funny to see this dad, <laughs> like, it's so, so plainly in fiction. And it's like... <laughs> I wanted to get your read on this, because what I love asking people is, like, how sincerely do you read this story? Because I think there's, like... I think it's, I think, like, a little bit sarcastic. I think it's, like, a little bit, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, the the part with, like, the pastor, right? Where he, yeah. <laughs> where they, like... They're, like, oh, yeah, our daughter's trans. The pastor's, like, are those the right... Yeah, they're still, like, we're all God-fearing people. <laughs> Is your child non-binary? <laughs> It's such a, it's, I think it's especially like, it's such a strange little story, but especially in conjunction, I think, with coming of age in Carhide, um, it's so, it's so, so like such a different kind of trans coming of age story, but it's also like, it is a weird one to have in, in an anthology of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, it's like the only, I think the only mention of technology essentially like the school having a functional like administration system where you can update your gender and that's like the only kind of technological element and there's no like magical fantasy element either so it it is purely like a uh, like social speculative fiction yeah well actually i did so what was it? i'm trying to remember um there was, like, something that, like, the dad said to the mom where I was like, is the mom trans, too? Like. Oh, yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Where was it? Um... Oh, it's at the end of the uh, dinner scene where the mom says to the dad, honey, I think we can change the paperwork just fine. It's not so hard to do, even if she changes her name later. And the dad said, well, you, you know this sort of stuff best. And then, like, later the mom says, like, you do take after me. Um, yeah, it's like... It's like a normal thing to say, but it felt very kind of like, I guess those two things together were kind of like, I was like, is there, like, supposed to be, like, is the mom trans too? But also if she was trans, like, it doesn't feel like like hiding much up the sleeve. Like, it's really all on the table. So I also don't know, like, yeah, why like why they would be like everything else this story is like mostly expository dialogue like almost entirely um which is something like, i i, I don't like, love <laughs> very like played expository dialogue like a lot of the a lot of the compared to like a mago where like everything feels like very like you know internal like well, and, and where, where, like, you can see it, like, as, like, a television or, like, as, like, a movie. You can see it, like, on a screen. With mm. this, if I, like, imagine this stuff filmed, all of the dialogue is delivered with the character looking directly into the camera, into my eyes, and saying to me, like... Yeah, I picture everyone looking like the mom from Black Hole Sun. Like, it's very... It's very, it's very weird. Like, it's... And, and there's only <laughs> one moment of, like, any kind of tension is, like, after... Samantha, the main character, comes out to the football team and um, a boy that she used to be friends with um, says, like, enjoy all the cock now that you're a girl. (laughs) Um, But it's weird because it's like, it almost feels like for a second, like, oh god, we're gonna verge into a story where it's like, 
you know, what, what happened, like trouble in paradise. Like we have this, but there's like one person who's like not following the lines and like now her, like it's going to all start falling apart. But then like five minutes later, he's like, I'm sorry. I just thought it would be a good thing if you got loads of cock. <laughs> I meant it in a nice way. And geez, you just look so pretty. And do you want to go get burgers sometime? No, right? It was literally, I'm literally, I was literally so confused. Yeah, I don't, I don't, it, I don't, yeah. It, it's built into, like, because it's built into the fabric. Of, it's not just, oh, what if your family was chill? Because, like, there's also this, there's this weird, like, eeriness. Like, it almost feels like cult-like at times which is why like every time i read yeah. it i feel like you're on the verge of something sinister happening because samantha goes to school and then there's well, nurse like, gives her estrogen and spiro and is like not but even before that she's about to sit down for class and her teacher gives her a note from the nurse and then the, the teacher smiles and says i think we know why the worst the nurse wants to see you good luck and then it says it was customary whenever students affirmed as transgender to visit the school nurse. So it's like there's this weird like everyone smiling knowingly and being like, oh, like you gotta go through all like it's it's time for your procedure now that you're now that you're out for all of us, now that you're being affirmed. And it's very like weird and like I, I to me it reads eerie, but also like I did a book club on this maybe a couple of years ago now. Like I think it was during COVID. Um Oh, that's my other thing I didn't mention. I'm also an organizer at the Small Trans Library Dublin. Um, and so I run a lot of like cultural events there. Uh, at the moment, I'm mostly doing film stuff, but like I've tried to run a bunch of like reading groups and stuff like that. And at one point, I asked, I got people to read this and um, a different story in, in this that I'm blanking on the name of. Um, and like, I, I was the only one who got weird. And then I like a freak like I was like did anybody else find this like kind of weird story and everyone was like this was so nice like it would be so nice if this was the world and like oh it was just really nice and refreshing to read like something kind of peppy for once and I was like oh <laughs> we've taken very different vibes from this yeah no it's like that's that's so interesting because I, I kind of my assumption right was that it was intentional because it had to be like um right like my 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 assumption was that that was like kind of supposed to be the vibe but then nothing ever really gets done with it so i was just kind of like this feels like it's like part of a bigger story or something and i'm just like i don't know maybe maybe it is it's weird because like there's um like there's i don't want i don't even know if it counts as discourse but like some people within like the sci-fi and fantasy writing community do you know the podcast write good sorry i keep just recommending you a podcast <laughs> is that um rs benedict yeah 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 yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so um they had an episode on like the idea of squeecore um which was like the, the episode that really blew up and was also how i found out about it and um you know they and they've just talked a lot on that podcast about like different trends in the sci-fi and fantasy like the mainstream sci-fi and fantasy community but also within queer sci-fi and fantasy um and it's weird because it's like so much stuff they will talk about like i'll be like oh wait i noticed this but like i couldn't put a pin in it like i didn't 
I didn't know if I was just seeing things or if this was everywhere. But one of the things that um, Raquel talks about on it, on the show and like that comes up in sci-fi fantasy is this this lean towards like wanting peppy, upbeat, like happy endings, quippy, like um, optimistic, like beat the big bad guy kind of, and like of sci-fi and fantasy as being like escapist as like a necessity almost that like what's the point in writing sci-fi and fantasy if you're just going to write things that are dark and like isn't the real world dark and shitty enough already and I just think that this is like again like it sounds weird because it sounds like I'm I'm like being mean if this isn't the intention but part of me thinks that it is but like it, it almost shows like the there's not really, like, if you don't give a trans person a problem in your story, there's not really a story. Like, it kind of is, like, that that friction that is between a trans person and the wider world is, like, actually fodder for, like, really good stories. Like, all of the ones that we've had before this are, like, good stories because they have that, like, tension between the person and, like, the society at large that doesn't like their identity be it like you know you're a gay man on a spaceship or you're a trans zombie um and like i feel like the gift is like okay what if you did follow that logic and you were like let's use sci-fi and fantasy as a means to just have a utopian world where healthcare is freely available and it's so easy to be trans and we can all just go to have dates and go and have coffee shop AUs with our friends and it just it just feels like there's not like, what would you write about? Like, it's that's just kind of it. There's just not really a story. It's just sort of a, a girl being there, and like, nothing really happens. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't spot my water out. <laughs> no, you're, you're you're fine. Yeah. No, I feel like it was this like. Yeah. It it just it just felt extremely strange. I kept waiting for there to be like some kind of like she would drop or something would yeah but it's definitely like i think i think that this collection in general has um loads of good stories and i think like i definitely would recommend anyone who's interested in like trans sci-fi and fantasy like this is just a, a really like good and easy like primer like you don't like if you are not someone who's who wants to get into like, you know, the internet mines to like find loads of obscure stuff. If you want like a starter kit, I think this is a really good anthology to start with. The other one I did a reading club on was No Comment. Do you know that one? Um, no, I don't think I actually do. It's about um, a trans woman who's the first trans woman to receive a uterus transplant. But um, the person she gets the transplant from was uh like a christian trad wife called mary who was like just about pregnant so this trans woman has like a miraculous like virgin pregnancy situation like oh my goodness up in arms that like the second coming is like in a, the uterus of a trans woman who wants to get an abortion she's like the first trans woman to get a uterus like i need an abortion <laughs> There's just like That's loads so of really good. good um, yeah, I, I I think there's loads of um of really really fun and interesting stories in it. 
Yeah, I've been meaning to go through and sort of finish it out because I've read, like I said, I've kind of jumped around. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll kind of try to start doing that sometime soon because I, I want to, because yeah, I want to I wanna kind of get through this and figure out, <laughs> I don't know. I've been trying to read more trans fiction lately. Um, but You uh, keep sending me classics and I will keep sending you trans fiction. Yes, I will. I was trying to remember the name of it. I can't remember. There was this like really fun, like classic sci-fi book where it's like, um, or not book, like short story, where there's this like uh, <laughs> one of the characters is trans, and it's like explained by the author or like the narrator. The narrator is basically just like, yeah, we just kind of do this. We have like machines that can like predict the course of a person's life, and we decide <laughs> that it's going to like make more sense for them to be a man than a woman. We just like kind of fix it, like we. we <laughs> It's like compared, they're like, if you like, if this machine like told us that like this kid would be like a great like musician, we like set aside a scholarship for them to Juilliard. If it tells them that the, she, that they would make a really good woman, we make them into a woman. <laughs> That's so like, there's so much interesting fodder there. Like I, I love ideas like that. I, I would love to read more story, and I'm sure they are out there. Like I, I never would ever be like, oh my god, nobody's written this story yet, because almost certainly someone has, like, self-published it, and, like, nobody will publish it, because, like, trans fiction that only makes sense to other trans people is a hard sell for a magazine. Um, but, like, stories like that, like, for example, like, I, I love utopian responses to transness and, like, complicating them, because it's, like, you know, there is like almost a, like there's a bit of a eugenic slant to that. Like, how do you you know decide like what is the appropriate way? Like, if someone say like had the the girl brain, like how do you decide what her transition would look like? And if you didn't do that, like would she have had different medical interventions in her life? And like, what actually is like the the correct way to sorry can you hear my dog now <laughs> it's okay yeah it's okay <laughs> oh my god he's been going for ages um but yeah i just um i just really love uh like the the potential <laughs> for the potential for sci-fi and fantasy to to take that like utopian ideal of transness and then really like pull it apart and look into like what actually makes us trans and like why would we want to necessarily erase part of that maybe like that's what i love about imago is like what in tabitha's life actually makes her trans um and if you had these utopian surgeries and everything where like how would transness continue to exist outside of the the sort of limitations of the world as we have them now like how do trans people exist outside of the um like medical system we have now I know there's like the whole history of like trans, like, uh, is it transsexual is like a, was like invented as a medical term, but I, I don't know all the details on that well enough. Well, yeah, it was, yeah, right. Like the, the sort of, right. It was... I had to, to learn what HSTS means because of you. <laughs> I promised that I wouldn't bring that up on this episode. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anymore, but one of the <laughs> I did I did on Twitter refer to one of these five stories as being HSTS and if you can get guess which one Oh, I did no, I won't guess it cuz I did see you tweet it, but I do think that the listener <laughs> should try and guess. 
Oh yeah, no, yeah. Oh no, that was that was who I was addressing. Yeah, like listeners, if you can guess it, DM me, and <laughs> if you get it right, I will send you back a star emoji, and if you get it wrong, <laughs> a red X. Um. Yeah, it's um. <laughs> right. Um. I I think you can reasonably guess which one that is. So. What was your relationship to like um? You know, like why did you want to do an episode on? specifically what's your relationship to like sci-fi or trans sci-fi i've just always loved sci-fi i've always read sci-fi i have actually like um i feel like i've talked to no wait this was a this was a this wasn't redacted but it was lost (laughs) and um one of the episode recordings got corrupted and we lost like me going on this like 10 minute long um are you familiar with the work of orson scott card (laughs) (laughs) yes i know that man have you read his very early novel in his career, Treason? No. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, okay, so it's like this insane novel. Um, I was completely fixated on when I was like 12 years old. Um, I read it probably like three or four times back to back. But it is about this far future where it is set on a planet called Treason that has no hard metals on it whatsoever. It has, like, life and, like, animals, or, like, not, like, whatsoever, but, like, not an appreciable amount of hard metals. And the people that live there are all, like, the descendants, like, hundreds or thousands of years after the fact of this group of, like, technocratic fascists that tried to, like, coup the galactic, the democratic galactic government or whatever. And because their coup failed, they were all sentenced for treason and banished to this planet which has no metal and so no way for them to like build a spaceship and escape and in the sort of in this sort of situation they are like basically living in a like roughly feudal society organized around like the families of the the families that have descended from like the coup plotters and the main character is the prince of the family that is descended from the eugenicist of this uh, fascist coup. And this eugenicist had genetically engineered himself and his um, fellow, his like family to regrow limbs, um, which is like a quite useful thing to have if you are like in a feudal society. Um, Mm -hmm. So they are like kind of, they're like one of the more powerful families. And there is a like rare chance that like or like so it's normal that like when people hit puberty they kind of like lose a little bit of control of this power and they start like regrowing stuff that's not missing and they can normally just like cut it off and like it'll be fine and they normally grow out of this but the main character is like kind of getting like a little bit old for this to still be happening and it's like starting to become a cause of concern because like for some people this doesn't stop happening and they are called like radical regeneratives and they are essentially stripped of their like status as humans and thrown in pins where they're just like harvested for organs that oh my god um they have like these little boxes that they can like put things in and the things get sent off planet and if the people off planet like the things they send back metal so like there is like some metal it's like just not really enough to like do anything with People use it to, like, build swords and stuff for, like, warfare because, um, 
a feudal society and they're all at each other's throats or whatnot. So um, essentially that's like how this family like makes their, gets their medal is they like cut the limbs off of these people that they've like, they keep in pens and then send, put them in a box and they get sent off. Um, but the thing that is like the sure, the surefire sign that this guy is becoming a radical regenerative and that sort of spurs the action of the story is that he grows breasts. <laughs> they're, like, hey, they're like, that's not supposed to happen. Um, <laughs> and you read this as like a teenager? I read this as like a 12 year old and I was just like, oh my damn. God. <laughs> that's a crazy idea. <laughs> I was like, damn, it would be so terrible to grow breasts and be sent <laughs> I would chop them off immediately. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Um, God, that's so funny. But yeah, I've just always been like a big sci-fi, and like I, I when I was younger, I was into fantasy. Less so now. Um, mm. I just sort of tend towards sci-fi more. Um, I don't know. I've I've had a lot of like fun uh, experiences with. Um, one of the stories I almost suggested we read, but decided not to. I want to just tell the story because I think it's funny. Um, is um. Drift Glass by Samuel Delaney, um, mm-hmm. which is, is a story about, um, it's like another one of those stories that's like weirdly dense, but it's about like this future where um, in order to deal with climate change, we've started um, sort of like doing these like massive genetic and surgical interventions on, again, like 13 or 14 year olds I think it's implied um, to basically turn them into fish people um, and then they can go live underwater where it's a lot safer (laughs) where it's now safer Um, and it's about um, the story itself is about like a like 30 year old fish person who lives on land because he was in an accident underwater and got like horribly disfigured and can't really like live underwater anymore um and he's like the godfather to these two kids that are about to be sent off to get their fish surgeries. Um, and I listened to this story on tape um, while I was driving to uh, a city about three hours away from where I live to get my vaginoplasty. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, I'm about to become fish too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> um, besides the point um yeah i don't know I'm, I'm just like a big fan i am like loosely working on something that might be a novel but is also Ooh. mostly just smut it's like mostly just sex that's um, what what do you mean just <laughs> just uh yeah no that's fair um i can like send it to you i'm kind of it's it's i'm, I'm kind of struggling with it because i don't have much plot besides sex to it <laughs> Um, right now, and I would like to kind of give it more stakes or more more kind of stuff, but um, as it stands, I have like a setting, and I have a lot of sex. <laughs> That's literally what I wish more stories had, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have like a sort of like, I guess I have like sort of like interpersonal, well, not like interpersonal, I have like, I don't know, I have like some I-, I have some ideas. We'll we'll talk about this off off uh, <laughs> off mic. Um, but yeah, that's kind of I don't know. I have a I do have a degree in writing. 
Um, but I haven't really like ever published anything, and it was just kind of something I did because I I never really had the intention of um, doing it in any sort of professionalized way. I just kind mm-hmm. of um, wanted different things for myself in terms of like professional life, and um, that's fair. I, I I couldn't possibly go on my tangent about the professionalization of writing, but. I understand. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave yeah. it at that. I cannot add another hour onto this podcast. It's a different topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we've we've made it through through our reading list. I don't know. Do you, you want to like throw out any like further reading recommendations for the audience? Um, oh, I, um, I can also throw out some further reading recommendations for the audience. Um, I'm trying to remember um, what all. There's I've ones read that before. I. There's a couple that I sent you. Um, on Twitter, I feel like a lot of um, like a lot of really great contemporary trans writing is being self-published, and I like I know self-publishing has a huge kind of stigma associated with it. Um, like especially like I I didn't <laughs> Ireland is not relevant to this episode. Um, like especially in Ireland, there's like a very quite traditional publishing scene. So even I have a hard time. If I write a short story, I, I really would struggle to convince myself to self-publish it instead of like, I, I even find it hard to dis- disassociate from the mentality of being like, no, I used to go in a real magazine, which is like completely made up. Um, because as someone who started in a magazine, fucking anybody can just start a magazine. Like it means nothing. <laughs> That's not true. If anybody's in my magazine, I said, we have great prestige, I swear. <laughs> but um, no, it's like, it, it's really interesting how like um, publishing really is actually a matter of just like someone can just kind of like really want to edit something and just put that together. And by the same token, like people can just write things and put them out. And I find that like most of my favorite um, contemporary sci-fi fantasy and especially horror from trans writers has been published on like Gumroad or itch.io and stuff. Um, I really love the work of June Martin. Um, you can find all of her stuff on her website, which oh, is the world's greatest writer.com. Um, really love her stuff. Uh, and then she especially, she has a novella, I guess, called The Election in Babylon, which is on her itch.io page which is junefacts.itch.io. Um, and that is set in a world where everything is decided by vote. Um, and there, it follows like three main characters. Um, and one of them is being voted into a marriage against her will. And the other, another one is a trans girl who wants to transition, but her parents vote against her. Um, and it's just, I mean, you probably get from the, the, the general premise, but it's just sort of, a satire of the idea that like you can fix anyone every, anything if we all just like vote accordingly um and then uh there's just loads of good stuff on itch.io um i've been reading more like horror and fantasy recently i think um in which case the chromatic fantasy is obviously a good comic um and then it, <laughs> it always sounds selfish to plug the anthology that i allowed to write anything in it so i'm just being proud of other people actually um, but yeah, I edited an, an anthology called Very Online, which is about having a bad time on the internet. There's some really fucking good stories in that. 
Oh, and yeah. I'm also editing uh, Tower Magazine, which volume one isn't out yet, but it will be out in the next couple of months or so. We're just about finalizing the list. And um, I mean, I, I can't spoil too much because we have to like send out like acceptances, but there will be a bunch of trans people in it. It wasn't on purpose, but like the bunch of trans people submitted and they submitted really good stuff. So there will be a bunch of trans people in it. Awesome. I love that. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> I guess my honorable mentions in terms of like stories that I didn't talk about here, uh, Roadside Picnic, all the characters that are trans, um, I'm deciding mm-hmm. at this very moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking at my bookshelf. <laughs> oh, one more. Um, <laughs> Infect Your Friends and Loved Ones by Tori Peters and, yes. in, oh, and yeah. also in the like gender apocalypse genre manhunt by gretchen felker martin they're both like hormone-based apocalypses by trans women and they're both really good i've not yet read manhunt um but i have read infect your friends and loved ones and um i liked it i think i'm like not a big fan of the way that tori peters writes which seems to be a personal problem and not a that's fair i think I, I but i do like- I do think I that she has a real cra- a real talent for like plot. Like all of her plots feel mm. really well tied together. And in fact, your friends and loved ones is is very fun. Um, yeah, it's my it's my favorite of them. Um, I I definitely like it. Like I am biased. I feel like I gravitate towards genre stuff more, but I do like it more more than detransition baby person. Oh, I no longer have it on my bookshelf because I lent it to someone and I haven't gotten it back. But um. We Who Are About To is, like, one of the best novels that you can ever read. It doesn't have, like, a lot of, like, tr- it doesn't have anything in it that I would really call, like, trans, but it is, um, <clears throat> what if, um, Lord of the Flies, except they were all adults, and one of them was a socialist feminist who was like, I am not letting you guys do this whole patriarchy thing again. Um, <laughs> and also it was written by Joanna Roos, who literally just sometimes reads like Virginia Woolf and was also one of the originators of Kirk's Fox shipping. Or not like originators, oh, wow. but one of the one of the like very like early and prominent like Kirk's Kirk Spock shippers. Uh, wrote like a back. lot. It literally all comes back to Star Trek. Um, I was gonna say it all comes back to Yahweh. <laughs> oh yeah, or or that. I mean, it all comes back to like insane socialist feminists who are lesbians but really invested in gay men. Um, You're so really, right. Really like erotic. A, a three-way charged. handshake going on here. <laughs> um. It's just, like, one of those things where you, like, look at Joanna Roos and you're, like, you know, like, if you lived, like, 50 years in the future, you would be exactly this kind of person that I know, and yet you lived, like, back then. And, like, how did you end up like that? But mm-hmm. I love I love it. Um, so, yeah, We Who Are About To is, like, um, also has a foreword by Sam Delaney. Um, oh, so. Cool. Yeah, truly, truly an amazing book. Um, I will look into it. Yeah. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, this has been a lot of fun to record. This is very long, but uh, it will be yeah, on Yeah, please feel free to cut out absolutely anything I said. 
I, I might actually... I might actually release this one for free after like a week or so. We will see. I'm thinking about it. Um, <laughs> I think in part just because I want more people to be reading sci-fi and to talk about sci-fi with me. And so I'm like, if I give them the episode for free, they will do it. <laughs> like, even like a, a snippet, like take one of the stories out of the longer episode. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll release the, um, the Imago. Well, the Imago conversation was kind of short. I don't know. Maybe I'll find I'll, the, the smartest things we said. <laughs> we'll see. We, we will see. Um, but thank you uh, so much for being here, James. Thank you to the audience for listening. Um, Thanks so much for having me. This is really cool. Yeah, no, this was this was really, really cool. Um, and thank you to the audience for listening. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you um, for sharing the show with your friends, for interacting with all of our stuff, for talking with me. Um, yeah. Thank you, audience. Mm-hmm.